we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waters where we're recording from, the Waramai and Wanarua peoples. We acknowledge the Waramai and Wanarua elders, both past and present. on the field for the Newcastle Knights. Darren Tracy's first touch of the footy. Now Andrew John. Strikes a little hole himself. He's close. Right. He reaches out. That's a try to Andrew John. Bruce Street from the little halfback. And that's a good reward for a great game. It is debut match for the Newcastle Knights in first grade. Andrew John scores the try and that should wrap it up for the night. Coming to you live from Warramai and Wanneroo Lands, it's the Bay 53 Podcast, part of the Sports Best Friends Podcasting Network. With your friends Bredo and the K-Dog, still brought to you by A-Plus Contracting and Polly Welding. Fresh off a heartbreaking loss to the reigning Premier, as well as a breathless win over the Warriors the week before, it's Team List Tuesday, and the team that needs to beat the Cowboys is here for analysis. It's exciting news with KP returning, but we want to talk about all things rugby league, both NRL and NRLW, so let's jump straight into it. Fredo, I want to put it to you something straight off the bat. I think the last two home games that we've had, I want to say, you know, short of special occasion sort of farewell games, but I might even include those. I think the last two games that we've had at McDonald Jones Stadium have been the best home atmospheres I've ever been involved in as a fan of the Newcastle Knights. Yeah, certainly in the like in the new stadium configuration. I, I don't I don't doubt that at all. It's um. It's been interesting, actually. Like, it's been such a – to go from last year where we both agreed it was the worst season in home games just in terms of being there we've ever had to – yeah, how this season started to develop. It's – um, I don't know. I don't know whether people have just sort of found a new love of rugby league or it's because we're going okay. But, yeah, it's definitely definitely been a huge uplift in what it was. I was talking with the mumbler at uh, at halftime on Saturday, uh, Saturday night um, and I said there was just something so toxic about being at Knights games last year. You, like you and I both reached a stage where we almost didn't want to attend. And, you know, we've 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 won a couple, we've lost a couple at home, but the atmosphere and just something that's like the atmosphere and the mood that the crowd is generating at the moment, it's just making the rugby league watching experience so much more enjoyable. I, I know you didn't enjoy it because it looked like we were going to lose a lead, but there was something that just really hit me against the Warriors when um, the Sweet Caroline came up and they had to turn the the announcer had to turn it off because the game kicked off again, and the crowd just kept going and you could just really you, you just get the vibe this season that the fans are buying into it. And it's like you said, whatever the players are doing, you know, whether there's been a change, you know, across the board, whether it's the players or it's the club, I don't know what it is, but there's just something different about being at Knights games this year. That's, um, it's been really good fun. Yeah. They're definitely trying to make it more fun with the music and stuff. And my, my show wasn't with the music itself. It was just the timing to me, to me, to me early in the second half when you, you know, when, when your opposition starting to put a bit of pressure on you and they've then coming off a huge comeback the week before, like to me, that's not the time to be they're having that party atmosphere because the crowd, I'll be honest with you, the, the crowd had got it, weren't, the crowd never had their heads in the game. So we weren't giving our support to the team. And I can imagine the team were feeling that too. To me, you know, that's stuff you do, you know, when you've got the game wrapped up with 20 to go, not with, yeah, a 10-point lead and half an hour to go. 
So 20,000 were there for the Warriors game. 26,000 were there for the Panthers game. I went along with a friend um, for, for the Panthers game and the like the it was hitting you in the face how hard the crowd was booing the Panthers players as they were running onto the field on Saturday. But I was saying to my mate, the problem, sometimes the problem with that though is that like that get like op- opposition. We've said before, opposition fans uh, teams love playing in Newcastle because it's some of the best atmosphere. You know, you'd sort of throw maybe um, uh, certainly Suncor Stadium, a packed Suncor Stadium up with it. Um, but they love playing you because you know they the fans just get into it so much. And sometimes the negative reaction that we're sort of taking was and it feeds them because they're like, yeah, no, I can really feel this energy. Let's let's get up for this a bit, but. It was just such an electric sort of um, vibe that the whole crowd was creating on Saturday. So Saturday was probably one of the one of the best football atmospheres I reckon um, I reckon I've ever attended. You know the, the 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 pleasing part has been, and we've said it on this pod a few times. We we really the, the team really don't handle the pressure of playing at home. That's been a huge issue for this club in the last probably yeah. twenty years. It's the, the, you know they feel the pressure of a good crowd and the crowd being in it and the expectations of the town and all that sort of stuff. Like they we you know and that's why we do so poorly in um, milestone games and the Alex McKinnon game was so poor because they just don't handle it. But they handled it so well against the best opposition in the competition. And to me, that was a really good sign that maybe they have turned the corner. Oh, a hundred percent. And I think. It's actually something that Adam O'Brien has specifically addressed with um, with the team. I think it was after the Raiders game. We might have even discussed it. He said there's a lot of pressure that comes with performing for this town and wanting to please this town. So he's obviously aware of it. And I think that's something that he must have actively um, spoken to the team about. Because I'll tell you this much, mate. mate we're uh, seven rounds into the season. We have already won as many home games this year as we did all of last season. So that's that. That, that sort of paints a picture to you immediately. And you got to remember the two teams that we've beat last year, um, Titans and the Tigers. They both finished. Did they both finish below us last year? No, Tigers, t- Titans with one above us. Sorry, one, one above us. One of us. Yeah. So the two teams that we beat last year were bottom four sides. And yet this year, you know, we've sort of um, we've beaten the Raiders and the War- and Warriors are very comfortably travelling in the top four at the moment. So it's it's absolutely something I think that the the coaching staff have addressed, saying we need to prepare you mentally to know what it's like to play in front of your home crowd because whatever it is is not working for you at the moment. Yeah, and the, in the two games we've lost, obviously we've talked, we've talked about Penrith and you know the whole thing, and it's Penrith. But even the Dolphins game, you know, we had a team of kids that day, yeah. And I still maintain if Daniel Safiti didn't get injured, we would have won that game. You know, in front of a good crowd, it was twenty something thousand that day too. You know, so it's it's um it's certainly been a vast improvement, and not just last year, even the years we've gone okay. You know, like the home record has still been really poor. Mm. We um you know we belted some teams at home, but we've lost you know we've still lost at least as many as we won at home in those seasons. So um, you know I've I've always maintained for the Knights they have a good season. We need to win eight out of twelve at home. Well, I completely agree with that. In fact, I, you know I'm I've got us sort of targeting those twelve wins this year. Um, at, you know four away, and yeah, that means we've got to get um we've got to get eight at home. We've got two out of the way. Yeah, the other side of that is obviously we've, we've already dropped two, so we could only drop two for the rest of the season now with a lot yeah. of good teams coming to town. So, yeah, you cool. know, the, the, there is a bit of pressure there too. 
Uh, Bretto, we'll, we'll obviously probably talk a fair... No, no, so we will talk a fair bit about both of the games that we've played over the last two weeks. Mate, before we do do that, though, we want to talk about NRLW because it's really exciting times for the Knights at the moment, particularly given the angst. There's something there's something about being a Knights fan that just automatically brings a- angst to our existence. You know, we were sort of sitting back. I mean, Peter Parr mentioned months ago, he said, oh, we should be announcing some signing shortly. Didn't happen. And then the next thing you know, well, Millie's leaving and all these other teams are announcing signings. And, yeah, you start to get a bit anxious. And, hey, the Knights, um, when when they bring, they brought the thunder last week with some pretty significant signings and, by the sounds of things, some really uh, significant signings to come. Tamika Upton for five, uh, Yasmin Clydesdale for five, um, looks like the Southwell sisters are both going to be for. Uh, sorry, Yasmin Clydesdale for three. Sorry, um, you know the the, um, the Knights are really starting to put some key signings long term for our NRLW side. So far, so good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that eggs come from yeah. You know, like I don't think at the start of this season we we're concerned about who we'd lose, but then you know we we did we lose Dom and we lost Dom, and then we had Millie Gut leaving blindsiders a bit. So then you know that Knights fan sort of. Um, We've trauma, been hurt before. Trauma, trauma response kicks in. Yeah, for but, sure. Um, but no, I and once we knew Millie was gone, I think that we all agreed that the Southwells, Tamika, Yasmin, and CJ were the must. And obviously, they're all signed off at the moment by CJ. And and I don't think there's any, CJ's a done deal. I think that's just a matter of working out the contract. Um, yeah, not only as you said, yeah, not only the fact we've got them locked up, we've got a, we've got three of them locked up for five years. Which is, you know, we're the only club doing the five-year deal, so that's that's a great, a great tick to the club that the, the players trust the, the club and trust Uncle Ron. Uh, you know, Uncle Ron sort of certainly seems to be sort of guy that girls like playing for, which has obviously been a big part of it. And it's it's one thing to keep the local girls, but to keep a girl like Tamika, who you know is what two thousand k's from home, to say call Newcastle home and want to stay for five years, that's a real big feather in the cap of the Knights. You know, something that. The whole town should be proud of, I think. So let, let's talk a little bit more about Tamika Upton. Um, I mean, she's been making all the right noises about the Knights for the last 12 months, basically from the day that she first signed for us. But then again, so had Millie. And so, you know, and you take that with a grain of salt. You certainly don't try not to read too much into it. But I think it's a lot of what Tamika has sort of been saying post-announcement uh, uh, in terms of that idea of home. Like, there are some things that players can manufacture, but yeah. certainly the consistency with which she's sort of spoken about, you know, I want to play where I'm happy and, and this feels like home to me. You know, Having that five-year security for her to be in a place where she feels like she's really going to be happy, it's got to be such a massive relief for, for someone of, of her, not only her calibre, but at this stage of her career. Because when KP signed for five years, we said, you know, these aren't the early stage five years or these aren't the... the um, the sort of um, sunset years of the, these are the prime years of of her career. So to make yeah, her up to twenty six yeah. years old, yeah, th- this is her. These are the prime years that she'll have in this profession, and she's giving them to the Newcastle Knights. Absolutely, you know. And I, I'm trying to lose a few kilos. I've been hit the treadmill a bit lately, and I was just sort of, I've just been sort of <laughs> think. I've just been sort of thinking about that whole thing, you know, like a, a girl like Tamika, why. Why Newcastle? You know, why does she feel so home? And I, I, I really get. And I was actually made me think like, towns like Rockhampton, where Tamika's from, and you know, Harry Grant, Cameron Munster from Rockhampton, they're towns that we should recruit from. 
because they're towns which Newcastle is very similar to. We're bigger than those places. But we're a coastal regional city that you know that has its own identity and is rugby league mad. And I reckon that people from those towns, Newcastle would be the spot for them if they were going to play at home. If that makes sense. No, it it, it does, and I can't remember who it was that we were talking to about it because. Um, I think it was either Harvey G or, um, you know, good good friend slash competitor of the pod, Nagy Nagwell. Um, it was always disappointing that nothing really took off with the Ipswich Jets. Uh, Too close to Brisbane. Too close oh, 100%. to Brisbane. No, 100%. It was the wrong spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think the idea was right there. Yeah, it's just yeah. the execution sort it of... Should, it should have been the Central Queensland Capras. Yeah, it for sure. Been, it should have been. And, and the Capras have got a pretty poor record in the Q Cup over the years, but they produced great, you know. As I said, they've been Kerry Grant and Cameron Munster, probably two of the top five players in the in the men's game. Tamika, who's, you know, a top three player in the women's game. Um, yeah, it's it really, to me, that's an area we should focus on is those big regional Queensland cities that don't have their own team. You know, that people say, oh, Townsville's close. Well, Townsville's not close to Rockhampton, you know. Townsville's, you know, still a, body, still a fair body drive from Rockhampton. So, Coming down to Newcastle, well, you know, while it's a massive thing, it's still, you know, it's still no no real different to go to Brisbane for them because it's still a flight. Um, you know, so I, I just really think that there are areas we should focus on because, and I know, I know a few people that are from those sort of areas and they live in Newcastle because mining town, regional city, on the coast, you know, all the things they, they feel about, they love about home, Newcastle has. I'll put it to you, Bretto, that one of the reasons the Knights aren't hammering that Queensland connection is more so probably because they've decided that uh, England is where it's at. And I put, I'd only mention that because of it. Is, is that Clint Zammett more than the club? Will that change how Zammett's gone, do you think? Well, what I was going to – but this Georgia – is it Roach or Rocker? Roach, yeah, Roach, yeah. Yeah. So Georgia Roach is coming over from England as well. Um, has the club sort of independent, like with or without Clint Zammett, and we'll see over time, but have they sort of decided, look, we want to, there's this avenue there for really good young talent over in the UK as opposed to England, as opposed to Queensland? Because you sort of feel like the Storm have not ruined Queensland, but, the, you know, they've made Queensland theirs, and so everyone's trying to copy that. And so maybe the Knights have gone, well, hang on, there's there's this um, there's this great pool of talent that we can offer better financial um, avenues to. Maybe England is the one that uh, that the Knights have decided is their go to go to um, ground. I don't think you're wrong there, but I think that Georgia Roach was more that there was five or six scores from England that went, we're going to come and play in the NRLW, and all the clubs mm-hmm. competed for their signatures. Mm-hmm. So I think that's how we ended up with with Georgia Roger, rather than going to her and saying, do you want to come to Australia? Yeah, I think, sure. yeah, the, the top English girls said, you know, we want to come, and then the clubs, yeah, then, then um, put their bids in. But um, no, I think you're right in terms of that. But I just I think that's a, a, was Clint, Clint Zammett driven, and I wonder whether the Dom thing will scare them off. Um, because and, I, and I've heard it, and I've and I actually heard it, a few people talk about it that are English, um, in terms of uh, Dom, like when we thought Dom would come and stay in Newcastle, they said they come to Australia, but and Sydney is such a draw. You know, yeah. when you're from when you're from the cold north of England, and you've got this beautiful city you know, on the harbour. And everything Sydney offers, it's a huge draw for those English people. And, and Canberra did so well to maintain their core group. Yeah, you because know, most people assumed once that Canberra had their bit of success, all those English players they had would all would all go to Sydney. And in the end, they went home more than they went to Sydney. But um, yeah, no, it's it's an interesting sort of thing. I think that maybe the Dom thing has scared them a little. 
No, I think, yeah, that makes sense. No, that definitely makes sense. Now, it hasn't been announced, at least not officially by the club, but certainly um, I think it was Adam Murray uh, over the weekend was was trumpeting that uh, the Southwell sisters are both going to sign and they're going to sign for five-year deals. There's a couple of things I wanted to sort of mention about that or at least give some thought to. I guess the first one is really Hannah, uh, 24 years old, She's coming off a knee, Rico. Five years for Hannah. What's the, I mean? I think it's a. I think it's a great signing. I think the five years again. It's about giving certainty. It's about showing that sort of intent. Um, you know, you get your best core of players locked in for as long as you can, so that you can sort of build around that. Um, Twenty-four years old. She'll be giving the prime years of her career to us. Um, but coming off that knee, Rico, is, is that is that enough to create the doubt there where we might have overstepped? With the five years for Hannah, I mean it has to be like it has. There has to be concern. No one knows exactly how players ever going to come back from a knee, Rico. Mm. Obviously, being a middle forward who's who who her game's based around defence means that you know there's more room for latitude because she's not you know she's not an outside back or a half relies on footwork and change of angle. So that you know, so that's obviously a, a positive. But yeah, there's definitely a risk there. But I also think that. Hannah's the culture setter in the club. You know, she's the local girl. She's the hard worker. To me, and we've and we said it in front of the pod, Matt Clark. You know, he he knows the the local, especially women's scene, really well. And he, he's always said, you know, the the signing that this club needs is Hannah Southwell, and we got her, and we've locked her up. And I think that's what the club are looking at too. I think with the thing with with Hannah as well is you do talk about that lateral movement, but um, when it comes to sort of the level of where the NRLW is at. Uh, as long as you know she's able to run north and south well, shout out to Joe Frost. Uh, <laughs> she should be, you know, I, I think she should be able to cater at least well um, for the, the, you know, that ACL injury. And look, over five years, you know, if we look after her properly, um, you know, we've seen an, I mean, look, Andrew Johns. Andrew Johns came back from his ACL at the end of the day. Um, so, uh, so there, there's a bit of history on the Knights side there. Um, they'll nurse her like she won't play. I don't think she'll play a lot of Harvey Normans over the years. Yeah, I think I think they'll nurse her, you know, and she'll she'll really sort of specialise in that in the NRLW, which means the seasons aren't particularly long. You know, they can really they can really uh, nurse her through it, and it's only the first one. It'd be different if she'd had two, but yeah, yep. I um. And 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 the thing is, those five year deals are going to look great in a couple of years' time as the, as the salary cap goes up. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to ask: is and this is this a bit too tinfoil hat for you? Is the is the five year deals in, in we're, we're, we're um, locking in a package? Like, was the five year deal really? You get both Southwell sisters. Was yeah, absolutely. Jesse's yeah. signature played any part in terms of what we gave to Hannah, or vice versa? I don't. I don't think. I don't think we. You could. You could ever say we signed Hannah to keep Jesse. That's not. No way was that the case. Mm-hmm. Because Hannah is a. She's probably before the the knee. She was a top ten player in her own right. You know. Yep. So that's. So that's not the case. But I definitely think that the club saw them as a package. And you keep Hannah. You keep Jesse. And it's just you know that the symmetry those two girls have. And as we've learned off Tamika in her reviews <laughs> signing is that they're besties with Tamika. You know, it's going to keep Stamika happy. You know, like when you've when you've got three rocks, you know, your middle forward, your fullback, your halfback, locked down for five years, rocks of your team. That's a great building point. It's funny what you say about Uncle Ron as well, because you really do get the impression that Ron is trying to build. Like he doesn't just want a team. You no, know, he wants, no. he wants a core group of yeah. um, women 
who you know who want to play for and with each other as opposed to just well look this is the piece we put in, in and um and again you do mention Matt you know Matt Clark has always been so um positive in terms of uh, the role that Ron Griffiths does play with this team yeah. to create that co- that cohesive unit that sort of goes um beyond the playing field yeah you let me have some hyperbole we're really building this team like the Melbourne well like Craig Bellamy built the Melbourne Storm yeah you know, have your five or six rocks locked down, and then just fill the fill it up with you know, with with a talent you identify around it, and that's exactly how the Storm were good every year because they had their five or six absolute top tier guns, you know, that played all the key positions, and would never get a leave, and then you just filled you filled it in around them. That's exactly how we'll build it. But we have the advantage the Storm don't have is we our local talent. He's already there. You know, the Storm had to go and recruit in Queensland, obviously, to keep filling their team out. We don't need to do that. All, all the all of the, the fill-out is not the right word, but all the people, that, you know, all the girls you need to fill out your 23-lady uh, squad are all local. You don't need to go recruiting. It's uh, So you've mentioned the Harvey Norman's uh, women's premiership. So we're, we're out of that. We finished uh, fifth in an 11-team comp. Uh, funny thing, though, is that, you know, we finished on six and four record you know we were actually in the end only one win out of the we were actually only one win off second because we finished with the second best points differential uh in the comp um but it was just that slow start to the season that really hurt us in the end i think we were one and three one and four yeah we, we didn't we didn't take it seriously till the last three weeks and then we blew everyone off the park yeah but, yeah, yeah. but, but, but obviously the club were very well two reasons the, the girls that were going to play in rlw weren't going to play because they couldn't get injured because there was no um, CBA in place, so they yep. were they, they rightly were never getting themselves injured, and also I don't think the the club wanted the girls playing right from the start of March all the way through and then have the NRLW season on the back of that. Yep, you know, so I think that we've we've done it the right way, and in the end, you know, we missed out by one win. I don't think Uncle Ron's going to be completely particularly devastated. You know, the girls got a good clean out. You know, they'll go into their preseason in a few weeks for the NRLW. Um, really good grounding. Now, I th- I think they got out of that season what they wanted. Well, it's worth noting that two of the four teams that finished above us, so uh, the Mounties in fourth, we clobbered them 30-4 to four a few weeks ago. And then the Steelers, who finished in second, uh, we beat them 34-18. to 18. So I think, you know, when we had... And, and that, that, that's, that, those teams had all of our NRLW players back in there. Um, you know, you make of those results whatever you will, but certainly, you know, the signs are good. The signs early are good. That um, again, we're sort of putting in a team that uh, ultimately, and it's easy to forget, um, are the defending premiers. Like they, they, sh- they really yeah. the team yeah. that we're building at the moment should be going into the next NRLW season as you know. I think the favourites to to defend their their um, title because you know, merely aside, so far we're putting in those ke- those key um, pieces are coming back again. Yeah, you're right. You know, we've obviously lost Kira Dib, but I, you know, we replaced with George Roach, who is he's very talented. I think probably maybe even more talented than Kira. Although Kira, you know, offers a really sort of great kicking game and goal kicking, especially. Um, but no, I, I certainly think that, you know that yeah, we as the defending premiers, we go into the competition on that top tier. You know, probably us, Brisbane, the Roosters are probably the three. If you looked, you looked at the rosters of the three clear standouts at the moment. <laughs> Do we want to talk about Teamless Tuesday? 
Yeah, we'll have a little, little quick look through it because the, the great man is back, and you know we all should celebrate that. It felt it. it it's funny, you know. I sort of because um, this year for me with NRL has been um, very different. I think heightened expectation. You know, it's so annoying. One of the things, unfortunately, I learned from last year is that uh, we wanted to treat last year differently by saying, no, we should have expectations. Expectations are good. You know, fans need to make demands of their team and maybe they'll perform. And uh, it was just miserable. It was such a miserable experience. It's something I actually never want to do again. So I do wonder if going into this season saying, look, if we don't finish last, that'll be great. It's um, improved my uh, rugby league watching experience. So it was actually funny to see KP named today after six weeks out or five weeks out. It'll be six weeks when he plays. It was just um, it was just satisfied relief to sort of see him there. And um, unfortunately, you know, when when KP wipes his ass, um, literally, in, it, it gets a uh, widespread coverage. And it was just the satisfaction was more from just seeing him there. He's been named. He's at six. All the talk that had been going on about it. And I'm like, this really shouldn't have been that big a deal. Like, he's, he's one, not the first player to take some time out over concussion. And two, he's not the first million plus dollar player to be named, funnily enough, in the position that he wants to start in. Like, it really, it really was starting to border beyond whatever absurd farcical realm of um, coverage that his place in the game can get as to the talk that had been around what was, go- what you know, where he was going to be named today. Yeah, that's right. It's, um, I mean, it's funny to me that people actually thought there's any chance in the world he was never going to be named at six. Be like, it was just. Can I just um, say on that as well? Because a good friend of the pod, Sky, she actually pointed out, she's like, are people seriously saying that he should, he was genuinely going to be considered at 14? Like, can you imagine the blowback that he would have gotten about what a, you know, overpaid coward he was not to go straight back into the starting line and instead just start from the bench? Like that, and that's. I absolutely believe that paid that would have been part of the consideration to naming him today. Going, it wouldn't. They just would have cut their losses. Going, which is going to be the least speculated move? Bang! Just put you back in six. Let's see how we go. The whole thing is, but the the side's been built up for Callum Ponga to play six. Why yes. would you Why would you change your entire game plan? Just you know, on the off chance that he got injured and you've had a guy playing there. The whole the whole reason Tyson Gamble was recruited was to say that when KP inevitably misses games because he does it every year, you could just plug a specialist 5-8 into that position and, you know, and it wouldn't change the way we have to play. He's not Kalen Ponga, but, he, you know, he, he plays as a 5-8 and can do that role rather than plugging a, a utility in there like we've always had in the past. Like, it just it, it made no sense to me. Like, the literal recruiting of the offseason was about KPL missing games. Let's find a guy that can fill in when he does. The talk as well about how... I mean, we've got to talk about it. The, the the this whole line of narrative and agenda, which is, but well, should he be back in the team? The team plays better without him. Can we just sort of point out the the spine that Kalen spent the majority of his playing time with last year? So, Kalen Ponger at one, Jake Clifford, who would get hooked at six, Adam Clune at seven, and Chad, uh, Chris the Chad Randall at nine. It's a completely different one, six, seven, and nine this year. The idea that, I mean, first of all, if you take KP out of that one, six, seven, and nine, as literally happened, they would have gotten worse last year. But the idea that putting KP back into a lineup that's got a, a solid Lachlan Miller at one, an actual 
first grade standard performing halfback in Jackson Hastings. And Phoenix Crossland, who showed against the Panthers that he can work well in tandem with Kurt Mann at that nine role. The idea that adding Kalen Ponga to that is going to detract from that quality is illogical. It is just objectively without reason to be able to take that position. I just, like, I get some people's pure agenda, but there's people that actually, you know, thinking human beings actually look at rugby league and think that <laughs> that, that that team has gotten better since Caelan Ponga didn't play in it. No, 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 no. That team is playing exactly how they'll set up the play. It just happens to happen that they lost Caelan Ponga, put another 5-8 there, and the team didn't really underperform because we've got such a good fullback, halfback, the hookers that have gone through there have all done their job. And Tyson Gamble is Tyson Gamble. Like, I don't, because, I just don't understand how you think we played better. We played exactly how we'll set up the play. Because but, this is, we, but we will actually, we will actually get better when we have, you know, the star of the team playing in it. Like, it just, it's so weird. It's because this is what people are, this is what people are missing. And you're right. Forget, forget the agenda driven. We're not dealing with you anymore, but it's the actual thinkers who they've big brained it. Because they've taken the logic that, well, look what Tyson Gamble did on Saturday night. The problem now is that you're going to put Kalen Ponger in and he won't perform to that level. Or he might, he'll perform to that level, but because he's Kalen Ponger, he'll drag the rest of the team down. And these are the same people who have always said, oh, well, Kalen Ponger only performs at Origin because he's got the players around him to perform to that level. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. so do you, do you see where you're just picking and yeah. choosing your logic? Because yeah. maybe, and I'm spitballing here, but maybe now, like in Origin, a team has been built around him to utilise his abilities so that we'll see more of that Origin quality Kalen Ponger for the Newcastle Knights. But, but the one other thing that I want to say is that and we love Tyson Gamble. I'm actually only going to say the following, pretending that I'm a, a, a KP-hating, agenda-driven agenda rugby league fan. If Kalen Ponga did what Tyson Gamble did on Saturday night, do you want to know what the narrative out of the game is? I didn't do anything in the second half. Yeah. Yep. Okay, he did the field goal at the end. Well, that was because you didn't do anything for the preceding 40 minutes. That's what yeah. the argument would be. Yeah. And so what we're trying to say is that, no – you put uh, uh, one of the premium top tier, um, top 10 players into that side on Saturday, you, you probably win because he does score that opening try. He doesn't need to do the field goal at the end because we likely would have scored at least two more points in that half that didn't, that that stopped us needing, you know, first of all, a field goal and then second of all, going into extra time. Like that's, that's where this logic around Kalen Ponga just starts to become so scrambled because we're forgetting that you're putting a good player into a team that's already performing well. So they logically should be getting better. The other thing that we're forgetting is that the Kalen Ponga support staff, like Kalen Ponga's number one ability is just to bob up next to a guy that gets an arm free. And so many times on Saturday, we poked our nose through Lockie Fitz, Tyson Frizzell, even Jackson Hastings a couple of times, poked their nose with an arm free and no one looming up. Kalen Ponga at least looms up at least once or twice on those situations and, and we score from it. You know, like they're the little things that you don't notice because he's not there and you think, oh, Gamble's doing well. And Gamble's doing really well at all the basics of playing 5-8, but the intangibles are the things that Kalen will bring. And that's why Kalen is worth over a million dollars to the team because no one else we have or we could recruit can do that. I'll be honest with you. I actually think 
for Tyson, there's a bit of relief there that Kalen's coming back. And I actually do point to the Broncos team last year, which he had some good games with, albeit I didn't want to recognize it because I hate the Broncos. But you could see when, when it was starting to catch up with him and you could see when teams were starting to figure him out, you know, playing consistently over a long period was starting to eat away at him. And, you know, next thing, you, he was being dropped for Ezra Mam. So yeah. I think there's a part of Tyson that's sort of – and because I was a bit of a player like this when I was sort of playing my amateur sport. You, when, you're an, when, you, when you're an average player at best and you have these standout performances, consistency isn't your key. <laughs> consistency yeah. actually becomes quite hard. And so I think there's a part of Tyson that's like, look, I've done my job for the last four weeks. It's over to the million-dollar man now to take over from there and I'll see where I fit in. Yeah, because when your whole game is based around effort, you can't put up that effort for an entire season. Yeah. You just can't. But your body, especially his side, your body can't take it. And his game is all effort. Um, and we and we love him for it. You know, that's why keeping him in the squad in some role is great because, you know, but for him to do that for 20 minutes is, much, is far easier than trying to do it every week for 80. Um, he was brought in this team, for, as I said, for the role of whenever KP is not playing, he's in the team. That's why he's in the team. For a little two and three game spurts here and there. That's why we recruited him. He's done his job. He's kept, you know, he's kept us at five hundred. The man's back, you know, and, he, and if Kalen doesn't perform, well, then that's on Kalen, and he deserves the criticism that comes his way. Well, actually, because before we move on from it, Tyson actually said as much in you know post game in the Brett Keeble interview, where he sort of said, he said, "Look, I was actually in the Tigers team because the sorry in the team against the Tigers because I was going to be brought on to do a bit of work in the middle, so I wasn't supposed to play five eighth for you know seventy seventy eight and a half minutes, but that's where I that's where I sort of landed. So um, one of the things we sort of saw because remember remember how poorly I think Brandon Smith started the year for the Storm last year." But that was off the back of the um, Harry Grant injury because uh, Brandon Smith was never supposed to play as a 40, 50, 60-minute hooker. He was he had a whole different role lined up. So when they threw him in there, I'm like, all right, will you be our hooker? He started really poorly because he hadn't trained for it. And so there's another part to that as well is that, well, Tyson didn't train to be a starting 5'8 for 24 games of the year, however long. He's trained for a completely different role. So there's an opportunity there to see what Kalen finally has to deliver to allow Tyson to do with the team what he was actually intended to do. Yeah, exactly right. You know, the way Adam O'Brien clearly wants to play is tough guys, but small guys around the middle with a bit of footwork and a bit of skill. Like, you know, that's that's the Adam, been the Adam O'Brien mantra. It's why Kurt Mann keeps getting named at lock. You know, that's what Tyson Gamble's there for is, yeah, to play that role. Um Kalen is the cream on the cake. Like they, that's that's the whole thing, you know. Like mm. our problem has always been we've had no cake. Kalen's just been cream sitting on the plate. Yeah. <laughs> and that's been that's been the issue. Like we've we've got that solid, you know, cake at the moment, and Kalen should hopefully come in and be the class on top of it. Yeah, you know, I'm no no Braille's obviously is a bit of a spanner, but yeah, I'm I'm confident that um Phoenix and Kurt can do the job at hooker. Um, no, I, I, I really think that we'll go up a level and it mightn't be, it might take a week or two, you know, Kalen's missed nearly two months now. Um, but no, the idea that we'll go backwards is ridiculous. We'll, we'll have a look at the rest of the team. Can I say something as well? It's so nice off the back of a close game because that's really our second real, oh no, so the, the manly one, sorry, it doesn't get any closer than that. So we've had three really close games this year. It was so nice off the back of the Panthers game to look at Teamless Tuesday and not have to worry about 
the six casualties and suspensions that we picked up from a, a hard-fought loss to see who was going to be lining up today. It was actually really nice for not only you know there to be no concerns about who's missing, you know who have we lost, but then to see right well who are the, we got these great players because Kalen Ponga's back, Jacob Sofidi's back. We were talking about well who's the unlucky one to miss out. Who's the unlucky one to be dropped as opposed to, well, fuck, are we going to be able to cover off uh, on enough of the team? So it was actually really nice to see the name, the team drop uh, today and be like, yep, there's no surprises in the back line. That's really great that Kalen's been um, there. Yep, forwards are as per usual. Okay, Kurt Mann at lock, we'll have a chat about that. And that's a really strong bench. Like it was just really nice to be able to see our team named like that for a change. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Normally when we have really tough, hard, close games, we, we, it's because we've had a million injuries and put in a gritty performance. But um, our other Tigers game. But no, you're right. It was nice to yeah, have no issues. There's no suspensions hanging over anyone's heads. And, you know, and we not only we got to keep the same 17, we actually had two of our better players coming back, which is, yeah. Well, two origin incumbents. Yeah, that's right. That's, what, yeah. that's what's being lost in this. Absolutely. You know, and and. As much as you know, Jacob coming back is great. Jacob coming back is so good for Dan because he's struggling so much with that shoulder. Yeah. So well, I think we'll get more out of Dan because he won't need to play big minutes. Yeah, no, hundred percent, mate. I, I did. So Kurt Mann's been named at lock. Um, where you and I are obviously disappointed with that. I think the bigger disappointment for me comes as well because um, Mac. I think Croaks has been he's been playing really well the past couple of weeks. I sort of. I was a bit surprised to see that he'd lost that um, that starting spot. I didn't think he'd done anything wrong in the in those two home games to um, to say we're going to move you to the bench um, for whatever reason. I was I was uh, yeah a bit surprised by that. And the only other surprise for me was that whatever you think about Kurt Mann, his two best probably his two best games for us so far have been that impact player off the bench to it. Just give that give it that little that little zip just at that time that we sort of need it. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, I would like to see Croak starting, but I can't argue. You know, as as I said before, that's how how AOB AOB likes to set up his team. You know, he's sort of really keen on having that that smaller ball playing thirteen, which is I think Croaks can do the same job. But you know, that's the case. But Croaks also got another hard whack in the ribs, so you know, is he a bit stiff and sore? And the coach just wants him out to miss that that early contact. Who knows? But you know, I don't think anyone can complain with the seven we've named. Um. Okay, I want to put it to you because you're right. It's 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 so close to being our strongest seventeen that we can possibly name out of our top thirty. For all intents and purposes, the the news is actually looking fairly positive on Adam Elliott. But where does Adam Elliott go back into go come into this team? Because you've got and you know we'll see how we go against the Cowboys. We'll we'll, we'll get to that um, preview um, later on. But let's say we come out of that with a positive res- uh, res- uh, response result. Adam Elliott's fit, written, ready. Where does he play? Does he does he have to work his way back through Cup? He wasn't brought to the club to play in Cup. So where does he where does he find his position in this team? Because at the moment, the way they're performing, well, who do you drop? J- Jack Johns has been dropped um, for Jacob Sofidi, and look at the end, he probably didn't have his best game against the Panthers. So fair enough. But then who else are you dropping? Are you dropping Jack Hetherington? Because Jack wasn't brought into the te- into the club to play cup uh, either, so it's a headache, but it's a good headache to sort of have. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think um, Adam Elliott will come back on the bench for a few weeks. I think eventually he'll be starting lock, 
But, yeah, I don't know who they're going to drop. I think the the obvious candidate's Heather. But, yeah, you're right, you know, he's come to the team to play. Um, I don't know. Like I, I personally don't think you can have both Kurt Mann and Tyson Gamble in the same team. I think mm. it makes you a bit small. But mm. that's how the coach sees the one to play. And, it's uh, you know, it'd be harsh to drop Tyson. Um, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I honestly don't know. I'm glad I'm not making that decision. But uh, me personally, I, I would drop either Kurt or Gamble just for team balance, for no other reason than team balance. I thought it was very interesting, and uh, Bay 53 pod nails it again. Um, Adam O'Brien, and by name, mind you, the exact players that he said, uh, you know, we wanted to bring in competitors to the club. And and he just straight up named them, Adam Elliott, uh, Jack Hetherington uh, and Jackson Hastings. And that was out on Lockie Miller. And that was almost word for word your description of the players that we recruited um, before the season kicked off. So that's that's another reason why, to me, you know, you're probably looking at either, unfortunately, Kurt Mann. Um, oh, sorry, you mentioned Tyson Gamble as well. So you mentioned Tyson Gamble as well. But you're probably looking at either Kurt Mann or um, Matt Croker. Sorry, Sky, that's not going to make you happy. That'll be the ones to miss out because, yeah, he wants he's brought in this group of core competitors that he wants to put into this team. And we still haven't had an opportunity to see all of them playing together. Craig's won't miss out. I'll tell you that now. Craig's won't miss out. Craig's is too valuable in terms of he can play lock, front row, and edge. You need that. You need Craig's on your bench. Um, mm. As I said, I think one of the two small guys. Yeah, we need Tyson Gamble. Like, we need that competitive nature. Because he doesn't need to be the team every week to, to give you that competitive nature, if that makes sense. You know, yeah, that's some of those guys, you know, build into the culture at training and pre-game and that sort of stuff. Like, you don't need that guy in the team every week. Um, I... I think that the smartest thing the Knights did was they actually, in their self-reflection and how last season went, they went, we've got the talent in terms of the ability to score points, but we need to obviously change how we attack because that's not working. But we have the talent there. But the one thing we don't have is scrappers, you know, the old trap and scrap, you know, like that's, there's, there's so much can be said for the ability to trap and scrap. And that's what we recruited. We recruited guys that were diving loose balls, which Croaks is too. Like that's the thing. Like that's why I don't think Croaks will lose his spot because he's he's that guy too. He was he was the one guy still doing that last year. Um, yeah, no, I, I as I said, I don't think they all need to play to have that culture at the club. If that makes sense. No, no, I, I know exactly what you're sort of talking about. In fact, you almost run the risk of sort of um, uh, spoiling that. Uh, that combination, as it were, you know, much like Kalen Pong is going to do, apparently, by trying to put, by trying to cram too much of it. Like if, it, if if the space isn't there, the space isn't there. You put the, you know, you know what I mean. You don't want to be too sort of competitive centric or going. No, we just want competitors. Throw them all in there, and you're like, well, no, hang on. <laughs> let's just let's just take a step back as well because um, they still need to play their role within the team. Um, but I mean, you sort of talk about that 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 competitive, you know. I mean, you and I read a re- we read a really great article by um, Pe- uh, Ben Qualiata um, in respect of where the team has improved this year. I mean, again, it's actually still early in the season. We're, we're seven rounds in. A massive game coming up against the Cowboys. So I'm certainly reluctant to go off too early. And off the back of a loss as well, mind you, it, it's easy to sort of lose sight of the fact that a one-point loss is still against it's still a loss. It's still not two competition points on, on the board. I, I don't want to go off too early about this team, but it feels different 
the team feels different. And it's as we sort of tweeted from the pod account over the weekend, it was just refreshing to watch the team defend, uh, uh, play the balls within their 20 metre, within the red zone. And it wasn't automatically a try. Like every... Every time an opposition carried the ball past our 20 metres last year, you knew they were going to score. It was just, it was never in doubt. And so watching it on Saturday, you got to about the 60th minute mark. You're like, yeah, Panthers are working here. They're going to have to work for this. There's, there's nothing given to them. And it was just so refreshing to watch the team play that way. Yeah, over 50 tackles in our 20 metres, 57% of the ball, and we only gave up two tries. And both those tries were off the back of the ridiculous Dane Gagai penalty, which is still blows my mind, you know, and, and the and the hair pull, which is, you know, whatever your opinion is. But both, you know, both 50-50 calls at best were the only two times we gave up the tries. And even both those times, it wasn't directly, you know, I think they ended up having three sets after the Dane Gagai penalty before they scored on our line, and it was two sets after the other one. Like, you know, we, um, we really pl- played hard, because we were all, to me, I think we always defend pretty well between the twenties. Yep. You now we always defend well in the middle of the field, but it's we let teams out of their twenty too early, too easy, and we let yeah. teams score once they get it out twenty too easy, and neither of that happened, which was which was great. I think our biggest improvement this season from last year has absolutely been our edge defence. Like there were so many times last year you would just watch a team two passes wide from the ruck. And you just sort of waited for them to get to the outside to run around or through us. And, I mean, you know, we're still conceding a lot of points. You know, we've we've conceded 30 um, twice. Um, you know, we, we only had a 10-point win over the Warriors. So we're conceding points, but they're, they're not sort of coming as easily a, a around us as they were last season. And that, to me, well, that, to me, honestly says two things. One is that I really do think for whatever reason, they seem fitter. We thought Dane Gagai was finished last year and he's found a whole, a completely different level to what he was displaying last year. But the other thing as well is that there seems to be a much, much clearer understanding about every individual's role in that defensive line where, as you said, we held one of the best attacking teams that this game has ever seen to two tries. Um, so I, I think it's it's really on the edges there where our centres and wingers are actually defending far more as a unit that um, that that has you know meant that we've stayed in games a lot more than we would have last year. Yeah, we're conceding a lot of points because we're because con- we're losing possession. We're, we're our, our ball handling has been poor. We've mm. made the most tackles in the league. That's why you know in terms of our defence. Like in the twenty meters zones and all that, we're one of the better sides. We're in top. We're top five for effective tackles. We're top four for you know how many how many tackles a team takes a team to score inside our own twenty inside our twenty. Um, but our ball control has been so poor that teams have got so much ball. Eventually they score. That's been our issue. So if we are tight. We tight about ball control. That the amount of points we can see will come down dramatically. Um, but I think that the edge defense. The two things I've noticed are just the contact. So when guys come in, they make the tackle. Too many times last year, a guy would come in, get bounced off, and then automatically that guy then gets to the outside and you've got an overlap, you know, just because a guy missed a simple one-on-one tackle rather than you're actually reading it wrong. And the other the other thing that I've noticed is our middle is so much tighter that the edge have confidence to um to come up and in. Because when mm. your middle's getting blown apart, the edge has got no chance, absolutely none. 
it becomes it becomes touch footy. Yeah, there's a reason why touch footy teams roll through the middle because once a team gets blown apart in the middle, you can't defend it off on the edge. So that's that's been a really key part of the middle middle defence, which is really interesting because the whole reason recruiting Adam Elliott was to tie the middle up. He hasn't played. <laughs> it's actually interesting what you do say about the middle there, is that because and Adam Elliott aside. Uh, two of our best forwards have actually gotten more game time this year in Daniel Safidi and Tyson Frizzell. And look, at the end of the day, there's a reason why your best players are your best players. It's not just, it's not like they were paid a lot of money and that made them your best players. They were, they were, your, they proved that they were your best players, and that's why they started getting a lot of the money. You know what I mean? It's not chicken or the egg thing. And so, it's quite easy sometimes to lose those players. And then you're like, oh, well, you know, one player down, another steps up. But unfortunately, we live in a world where there is there is just a drop-off in quality between, um, from player to player that some players can't replicate. And for all the good work that, um, you know, your Brody Jones can do or to a certain extent Lock and Fitzgibbon, well, unfortunately, they just can't keep doing or continuously do or even at any stage do what a Tyson Frizzell might do or, you know, asking Leo Thompson to be our starting front rower all season. Just go out there and do what the Sofidi boys do. It, it doesn't work that way. So it's actually something to be said about having fit players that have been able to play each week and you know deliver those types of performances that we've consistently said this team has in them. We just didn't see any of them last year. Yeah, that's right. Like I'm not seeing anything with players that I didn't think they could do. Yeah, you're right. We we both thought Gags was washed, you know, and that's been a pleasant surprise. Mm. Um, but I don't think any other guys are doing stuff that we never thought they could do. We last year was because we were we were, we were high on us last year. As as we maintained, we thought we'd make the finals. You know, these four. guys, these guys, you know, are, are just showing us what we knew they could do. Um, you know, and that's the thing. You know, we've we've talked about you know the um, the culture being changed with the guys they've brought in, but to me, guys are just more confident. As I've said many times, in contact sport, confidence is such a huge thing, and we've seen that with the Cowboys. You know, they were so poor in twenty one when the confidence was down. Last year, they got on a roll. You know, they looked like you know they could win the comp. The issue of confidence down again in the back of the bottom of the table. You know, confidence is such a huge part of rugby league and um, and hopefully we found a bit. All right, so where has that confidence come from? And look, we're going to talk a little bit about Adam O'Brien, but and I want, I want you to be mindful of this in terms of the way I talk about it because – um, I don't want. I actually don't want to talk about it in terms of an "I told you so." You know, I um, I actually tweeted from my personal account that look, I, I do think Adam O'Brien is the best coach we've had at the club since Mal Riley. Someone pointed out to me, like, look, he's got to win a finals game, and that is absolutely true. He actually has to still produce results. So uh, I think there's a lot of water that needs to go under the bridge about Adam O'Brien. So I certainly don't think. Look, I hope you and I never at the I told you so stage because, look, I'll, I'll actually make an admission. Yeah, privately, and I, I sort of said this to you, I really did think that Adam, Adam O'Brien was probably the wrong guy for, for the job. I was starting to see the results. You know, no one knows. We still don't understand what happened last year. I had my doubts. Um, I'd actually said to a couple of people, I said, look, I think he'll I think he'll last until round 10. But the way this team is performing this year, I don't see where the improvement comes like next year. The, the improvement has been considerable and the only off there are two off field changes as I see it including the the on the, the, the three four major recruitments uh, Hayden Knowles left town Peter Park came in and took control of the footy department but Adam O'Brien is still in the hot seat 
So what level of credit does he deserve in terms of the early stages of an improved team that we're starting to see? He deserves credit in that he admitted his own mistakes. So at the end of last season, he went, I, I fucked up. Hayden Oz wasn't the right man for our fitness regime. I went completely hands off. That's not happening in this offseason. In this offseason, the fitness is being run by me. I am getting these boys ready how I want them to play. It is my responsibility. I will do that. We're seeing the benefits of that now. The, you know, the team are hardened and ready to play how he wants them to play. The other thing is he went, well, our defence is what needs the most work. I'm going to be the defensive guy. I'm going to teach the defence. I'm going to not leave that up to anyone else. That is my job. And then I'll leave the attack up to Greeny and uh, Joey. You know, They're more than capable on that side of the ball. I will look after the two areas that I think need the most work, fitness and defence. And what's been the improvement of this team this year? Fitness and defence. I'm going to play Bill's devil's advocate here because you and I probably have a tendency to slap each other on the back. Like, yeah, you're right. But so I'll try to I'll try to be the um, the uh, you know the counterpoint to your um, to your um, I'll try to be the Stephen A. Smith to your whoever the white guy is. Um, oh, don't 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 call me <laughs> don't call me Skip Bayless. Before I <laughs> Let's be honest. I, I'm the I'm the Skip. Um, Okay, but Adam O'Brien was brought to town to be like he was his um, uh, reputation was in it as an attacking coach. So aren't we? Isn't he underutilizing himself by saying, "Well, I'm going to fix our fitness. I'm going to fix our, our defense." Well, all, but you're you're supposed to be like all those great attacking structures. Don't we need those as well? Um, yeah, you're right. But he was also a defensive coach at Melbourne. He became a he became an attacking coach at the Roosters. He used to coach defense in the early days at Melbourne. So that was where he had his grounding. And I think that he's realised that the 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 team needs to be built from the ground up in terms of we need steel. So he went, well, we need steel. That's my job. You know, I'm the, I'm the one that's getting fired. If this doesn't work, I'm the one losing their job. And the only way we improve is we improve the backbone of the team. And and the coach can't do it all. You know, he can't, he can't control the whole lot. He has to pick and choose. Like, on the training paddock these days, Wayne Bennett does bugger all. You know, he delegates. Adam O'Brien's not that experienced. You know, he doesn't have that knowledge of the game that Wayne Bennett has. So he thought, well, the things that I need to fix immediately are the things that I will take control of. You know what it reminds me of? The two easiest things to fix are, are effort and defense. You know what it reminds me a little bit of, and stay with me here because this is going to be a really fucking long um, bow, but it reminds me a little bit of Ridley Scott when he was directing Blade Runner. So um, Blade Runner, which apparently was like one of the worst productions ever known to man, and, you know, Ridley Scott wasn't popular with anyone and he got pissing at everybody. It was this, this English director who was in, in, in America with his first, but it, and he reached a compromise with everybody where he sort of said, he said, look, all right, I can tell you're all not happy with me. He says, I get that. And he said, here's the thing. He said, the success or failure of this film rests on me. So I will listen to everything that anyone has to say. You come to me with your ideas. I promise you that I will give you that time. I'll, I'll think about it. But at the end of the day, the decision rests on me because my name is the one that's going to be there at the end of the day. And you kind of get the impression that that's what, um, Adam O'Brien has ultimately decided to do. He delegated last year. It didn't work. He's like, look, 
this is going to fall on me one way or another. If 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 the players don't perform, no one's going to care. Everyone's talking about me getting sacked. So I will hear everybody out. And you, But at the end of the day, my decision is the one that has to be the one that goes because I will be the one that reaps the uh, repercussions. And to a certain extent, I think Peter Parr has come aboard and said, yes, that's more than fair enough. That is exactly how it will have to do because if you're going to bear the consequences, it might as well be your way. Yeah, and I'm sure Adam, Adam O'Brien, if he went out the back door of the Knights, his role as a head coach down the was done. No, no one was taking a Knights failure as their head coach. Mm. You know, so he so he basically, I'm sure he went the offseason, well, this is it. If this season is a disaster, I'm done. You know, I'm back to either I'm going to Super League or I'm <laughs> going back or I'm going back to be an assistant. And and you're right, Peter Parr probably went and looked him in the eye and went, Yeah, Adam, you're right. You are done if this is a disaster. I'm gonna trust you to fix it. Fix it, my friend. And so far, he has. It's very interesting to see what... And it's been funny to me as well, because a lot of people said, oh, we finally got a halfback. He did have Mitch Pearce for the first two years of his coaching career. So let's all be... But the funny thing is, is that the one season where he actually didn't have that fully functioning halfback for him um, for a season, unfortunately, Adam Clune, well, we went off a cliff. So it's interesting. Yeah, and I also, I also think Jackson Hastings suits the way Adam O'Brien wants yes. to play more than yes. Mitch ever did. Because um, Adam O'Brien, I get the impression, loves a team. See, I don't think he's 100% structure or 100%, um, you know, eyes up footy. I think he's more of a structured coach. But when you think about it, I think he's sort of that 80-20 split between structure and play what's in front of you. And I think that's the type of player that Jack Jackson Hastings, first he's, of all, He's a product of Melbourne. Yes. Adam O'Brien. You know, it's the structure is the key, but you have to be able to see what you can see. Yeah, and I think Jackson Hastings, first of all, has the ability and has the talent to do it. Um, I'd be interested to know that, because you and I obviously don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but I'd be interested to know how much Andrew Johns is enjoying uh, coaching Jackson Hastings, because, you know, he tried, he probably tried to do what he could do with Adam Clune last year. Didn't work. Adam Clune was probably walking away from training sessions going, well, I don't know what the fuck he just said. I'm going to do the best that I can. But I, it wouldn't surprise me if Jackson Hastings is actually able to interpret everything that Andrew Johns is tell, is trying to coach him to do. Yeah, Jacko seems like a footy nerd. Yeah. You know, which, which is not that Joey was a footy nerd, but Joey's knowledge of the game is so advanced to what, you know, the average person is that you have to be a footy nerd to be anywhere near, you know, the same planet he's on. Um, and I think, I think that Jackson would, would really just love the idea of a guy that could see the game like he sees the game. But Jackson clearly sees the game differently, differently to a lot of people. Um, and you'll see, you've seen him with a few plays this year that they just scream at you, John, you know, down the blind side against Manly. Um, <laughs> A few, you know, a few, besides the obvious, just just the fact that you know that was clearly a set play, um, and you know, and it, it, there's other things you know where we where the numbers we've made a huge break, and the old knights would just we'll, we'll just plug it and go you know, try and get in the corner, you know, we'll we'll ruck it up and try and barge over. Whereas Jackson's immediately, you know, you're there, you're there, you're there, you're there, ball, ball, ball. We go in untouched in the corner, and that's. That's Joey John's night stuff. Now that's that's the stuff where we'd we'd carve a team open in the middle and then two cutout passes later and Tomato'd walk in and do a backflip or whatever and score in the corner, you know? <laughs> the, the, that's that's Joe that's Joey Knight's football and I and Jackson's capable of that, you know, not at the same standard obviously, but he can see it at least, which is a big step forward. 
expert. I just love the game. But more than that, I love the community. If you're a fan of Rugby League or the NRL, you'll love Big T's Tees. Unique, affordable and made for fans. Find a link to the online store in the show notes below. You'd look good in one of Big T's Tees. Bredo, before we do get onto the games, look, this concussion at the moment is probably the topic you can't avoid, and that's in world sport. It's not even just in rugby league. Um, news sort of came out today that uh, Gary Ablett, you know, one of the most um, well-known, uh, famous names in, in AFL, is uh, going to sue uh, the league and his two um, VFL clubs. Um, for uh, ongoing damage that he's sort of suffering from uh, as a result of concussion, um, as he says, due to negligence by the league and his clubs. Obviously, when it comes to the Newcastle Knights at the moment, the big talking point is Kalen Ponger. And, the, you know, the extensive sort of uh, work that the Knights have done to um, mitigate the, the damage that he might suffer, but also, you know, ensure that he's um, properly looked after. Um Mate, I guess I wanted to sort of talk to you a little bit about because, I mean, and the concussion aspect itself is so complicated in and of um, in and of itself. If if you really want to get a better rundown of that, you know, you jump onto your NRL physio, have a look at him on the socials, and and you know, get that that better understanding in terms of the the science of the, the medicine behind um, the physical causes of that. So I'm probably not going to talk to that about that too much, but. One thing I sort of did want to, I thought might be interesting to have a bit more of a chat about is the legal implications of that and just why it's actually causing such a um, problem isn't the word, but certainly why from a from a legal perspective, why everybody is sort of so um, conscious of it at the moment, because um, I think I think there's a lot of uh, mystery and there shouldn't be when it comes to what the legal ramifications are in the way that the game sort of deals with concussion. And this is something that uh, sort of uh, raised its head. I was talking a little bit with Nagy about it um, during the week. And he's like, well, look, I'd, I'd sort of like to get a bit of a better understanding of it because in a very past long life ago, I had some small involvement in um, in, in uh, law when it came to um, personal injury. So I thought it might be interesting if, as I understand it, and I, and I need to say straight up, this is absolutely not legal advice. You cannot take this uh, <laughs> for, um, you cannot use this for any legal purposes whatsoever. This is purely for the purposes of discussion to um, to just sort of uh, raise raise conversation. If anybody is in need of legal advice, please go and see a, um, a, law, firm, a law firm and a qualified uh, solicitor as such. But so I guess for starters is we need to get away from this idea that Players are being caused harm, ergo, they are entitled to be paid for it. That's actually that's actually not how the system works. So, when you when you're looking at New South Wales law, and this is that's the law that will apply to um, to any concussion claims that do arise out of the game of rugby league, because rugby league is uh, uh, the NRL is based, as I understand it, um, out of New South Wales. They're yeah, really so that's, that's that's legal addresses, yeah. Correct. Yeah, correct. Um, as I, the best way I can explain it is really that when you're looking at these players suffering from concussion, there are really three, I think four, but there are really three things that you actually want to be looking at. So the first thing that you'll sort of hear is this idea that, um, you know, the league 
or the clubs owed the player of duty of a duty of care. Now, I, I often get a little bit thingy about the use of the term duty of care because, you know, when you talk about, um, you know, they talk about high tackles and, oh, you know, such and such owed a duty of care to the other guy to... Duty of care is something that's actually really, it's 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 actually quite uh, misunderstood. Duty of care doesn't simply mean you need to take care of someone else. The duty of care actually arises where you have an established, accepted relationship under law that says you owe that person a duty of care. So I don't know enough about um, sports law, as it were, to say whether one player owes a, a duty of care to another. They more than likely do, because you know we, when when we're driving. We owe a, as the driver, you owe a duty of care to other people to drive safely. But it's actually well established that the clubs and the league owe a duty of care to the players to take care of themselves. Because if they didn't, you know, the, the league could just do whatever they want. And they no, 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 we don't care. Go out there and, and, you know, fuck yourselves right up. And, and the law as it currently stands just doesn't allow that. So... There is a duty of care that is owed by the league and the clubs to the players to ensure their safety, um, despite the fact that they're, you know, doing something that's obviously dangerous. And we're going to get to that uh, at a later stage. The second part, though, is that once you've established that there is a duty of care owed, the league or the clubs, league and or the clubs, need to breach that duty. So essentially what you're saying is that let's pre let's pretend, Bretto, that you and I are going to, um, we're going to the supermarket, okay? And there's a slippery floor there. If we slip over on that floor, there's enough case law to sort of say that is a breach of duty of care. So the supermarket owes us a duty of care. If we've slipped and we've fallen, well, they've breached their duty of care. So I want you to keep that in mind when you, and I'm going to ask you this question. If you're a league or a club, that owes a player a duty of care to look after themselves, well, what type of care do you think that they should be giving the player to ensure that they don't suffer from the long-term effects of concussion? Just out of interest. Uh, the best medical advice that's available to them. Yep. And the best care in terms of, you know, doctor, whatever, yep. care in terms of you've, you've had a head knock, we'll put you through the right process. Yep. So essentially what you want to make sure is that the the, the, the the doctor's advice and the treatment that they're receiving in relation to concussion is going to take care of them. That that's that's really where it rests. So what what would need to be established is beyond that. It, it's probably going to go more than just the treatment itself, because as I see it, information informing the players of what is out there is actually going to prove a, a big part of this as well. And and, and I sort of say this because. Uh, one is players have shown a propensity to not want to look after themselves. You know what I mean? Like how many times? Have yeah. I, so that, that's the question I would ask you. So we hear a lot of players and especially ex-players, current players too, going, well, I know what I'm risking myself for. I don't care. Where, yeah. where does that then leave the club? Yeah. So, so it, it this is where it becomes more um, complicated than just making sure that they get the care. Because what would need to be decided is well, what is the what is the scope of that duty of care? How much should the clubs and the leagues be doing to ensure that these players are looked after the best that they can? And so that's when you start to look at well, you know, we've got the eleven day mandatory stand down. We've got the the independent HIAs because those are now things that go beyond pure medical treatment. Because for whatever reason, they've decided, no, your scope is more than just giving the treatment when they need it. You need to be looking after these players to a certain extent to give them the best possible avenue that they can 
to ensure that they're going to be looked after. Does that make sense? Yeah, my, I, I suppose when I think of that, do I does it take into account the fact that this is a brain injury? So you you have to understand that the player in the aftermath of a brain injury is impaired. Do do the clubs at times need to say, look, mate, you get no say in this. This is completely, One, out, yeah. of, this is completely out of your hands. So 100%. And, and the only reason I say it, and this is why I'm reluctant to get into the medical science of concussion, because, again, go and, go and talk to NRL physio. He, he was the one that can absolutely give you a, a really good breakdown in terms of, you know, what the what the effects are and, and how they appear afterwards. And he, and, he, and he has a podcast and a Patreon, so if you're really interested, and, yeah, join his Patreon and you'll, you'll hear all about it. But from – and this is only from the outside looking in. What experts seem to be agreeing on is that – there are certain indications that can be shown regardless of what a, an injured player is letting on that we can take it out of their take it out of the player's hands as to as to um, how the, they're affected and we can just look at it objectively without their input to say look we don't care what you think or you say anymore it, these signs are apparent and that's why you've got your category one two three um, concussions on the field that an independent doctor is sort of making that decision on so so We've sort of gone back to this duty, this idea of the scope of the duty of care, in in a very sort of um, uh, in a very sort of uh, as as an example, as a rough example, a breach, a potential breach of that duty of care might be ah he's fine, or you know we we failed to follow our protocols, and uh, unfortunately for the knights, we actually have some history on our side, which. Between you and me, wouldn't surprise if the, if that was one of the reasons they went to the lengths that they did for Kalen. It wasn't just from a his personal financial perspective, but certainly lessons learned over the well-publicised James McManus case. And what he alleged was that um, uh, the club and the league breached their duty of care by allowing him to continue playing, encouraging him to continue playing, not keeping him away from the game for longer periods between concussions, but not having the appropriately qualified people to make the on-field decisions that we now see today. So so all of those things sort of touch on what you're saying there in terms of, well, if the club do X, Y, Z here, that's how you fulfil your duty of care to these players, to make sure they're properly looked after with, um, with their concussion. Have, have I still got you uh, to this stage? Are, are yep, there any? Yep. So, so we've talked about the idea that the league has to look after the players. We've talked about how the league can look after the players. We've sort of discussed what would ha- what it would look like if they weren't looking after the players. I'm going to talk about the effects first up. The, the biggest issue that a lot of these players now have, and this is the third major element, which is the damages part. It's the, it's the idea that they have suffered such damage from the after effects of concussion that they're actually no longer able to um, essentially live their life proper and or earn a living. Now, yeah, so um, Gary, Gary Ablitz was about medical costs and inability to work out, isn't it? And so this is because this is where, again, the whole idea of negligence um, sort of starts to lose a little bit of its understanding is that. Remember in the late 90s where you could, you know, you could sue a company for, for millions, for, you could punish them for not properly doing their job, and all these insurance agencies started to fall over because they couldn't continue yeah. to pay out. So what the benevolent Bob Carr did at the time to resolve the issue was not to make things safer for everybody so that they didn't have to pay out millions. They started capping what you could claim 
as a result of certain personal in negligence cases. So we, we now live under what's called the Civil Liability Act. And so they got rid of a lot of damages. So in this day and age, and this is only for a common law claim, you know, there are certain claims that you'd be able to make through an insurer that they are covered for. But from a common law perspective, you're really only looking at um, inability to earn medical expenses and some other additional extras. It, it, it's, it's significantly less that you can claim in this day and age. But the point is, is that that, that damage has to create a monetary uh, flow on effect that you can then claim for. So the lost earnings is the big one. That's that's the one where you sort of say, and you know, we sort of see it a lot in workers' compensation, particularly police officers who would be like, well, I've suffered so much trauma, uh, you know, as a result of the work that I do over the last few years. I can't do that anymore. And so you you, you sort of try to figure out, well, what what is your capacity and how much would you be able to earn, and then you you pay back the difference. So that's the damage that really arises out of it. But I want to go back to this idea of causation. And I think this is, whatever you think of concussion, as a rugby league fan, I actually think this is the key part in the whole conversation. Because I don't think there's any doubt about the duty of care. I don't think there's any doubt about the effects of, of concussion, i.e. the damages. I don't think there's any doubt about what the league is now very clearly and visibly wanting to do in terms of um, making sure that they fulfill their duty of care by way of um, HIAs, medical treatment, stand down periods. I actually think this is the biggest issue that's going to arise in terms of the concussion argument. And it's going to be this, this idea of causation. So I want to go back to the slipping, the slipping and falling um, example, Bretto. So you go to the shops, and you fall over and you break your ankle, okay? So you've fallen over, there's damage there. You know, we know that they owe a duty of care. The, the, now, the floor was slippery, but what happened was you broke your ankle because you're an idiot and you tripped over. It's got nothing to do with the, with the slippery surface that's over there. So you've got a duty of care. Yes, the shopping centre have breached their duty, their duty of care by having that slippery fall, the area there, but you broke your ankle because you fell over. It had nothing to do with that. So the breach didn't cause the damage. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, I, so, I'm with you. So what I think is going to be the hardest thing to prove in um, in these concussion cases is that, well, okay, so let's say we did, we can establish that you that you breached your duty, but where was that, where was that breach that caused that, that damage? Because here's the key part, is that when it comes to breaching a duty of care, it's what was known or ought to have known and it's yeah. that ought to have known part that's going to be very interesting because for all everything we know about concussion now and they are absolutely doing everything they possibly can well back then what did they really know and what should they have known because that, that's where the nfl are caught the nfl are caught because they were withholding medical Correct. evidence they had that concussion was a thing the same way that smoking companies uh, cigarette companies got done because Correct. they had they knew the effect of smoking so I was I was having a chat with Nagy about, and the best the best publicly known example that we could sort of um, come up with that is in Australia is akin to what's probably going to happen with concussion was asbestos claims against James Hardy. James Hardy, they are paying billions of dollars. They have had to set up a, a multi billion dollar fund um, to pay out for all of these uh, these these breaches that have caused. Um, mesothelioma or, or, or something. I'm, I'm not across those claims. Um, but the interesting thing about that is that they were doing it for decades 
And it really wasn't until the early 90s. There was a case in 1991 where they finally established, look, you knew or ought to have known that this was going to cause cancer in these people. You, this is your responsibility. And I think that, to me, is really going to be the most interesting part in this. What what did the NRL know and what did rugby league in general know about uh, the cause of concussions, the effects of concussions and how to manage concussion and what weren't they doing? Because I think for current players in this day and age, it's going to be a lot harder to claim because for all intents and purposes, the league are actively trying to do everything they can. And I'm only speculating here, but I think that's what's going, that's, that's actually what's a bigger sticking point for the current CBA is that players are saying, what, you've got to deal with our concussion. And the um, the league is saying, and there's very strong case authority to say, no, you're actively taking on a very obvious, you are taking on a dangerous recreational activity. You know that. Everyone knows that concussion is caused by rugby league. We're not paying any more than we absolutely have to for that because you know what you're getting yourself into. But the harder part is going to be that grey area before the modern game where a lot of players, they didn't know what they were getting themselves. Remember when you and I were watching yeah. Andrew Johns in 96 yeah. Origin? Yeah. He's knocked out in midair and he's back on the field 15 minutes later. Now, if the league knew that that was going to cause they're in trouble. But if they yeah. didn't, they were like, look, he's just got a bit of concussion. He's okay. Everything's fine. It's going to be a lot harder for these players to maintain the claim. So that's why I think that's where I think the interesting part is going to be for the Gary Ablett. And, and I, I think I think the nineties are the zenith. I think the the nineties era is when the NRL are in trouble because mm-hmm. there was definite definite science by then about concussion. I think Gary Ablett will struggle because he started in the early eighties. I think the, the AFL have got a really good case that they can say, look, we didn't know. Well, it's, it's the stuff from the nineties to the uh, to the early noughties to me is the is going to get the leagues in trouble. Well, the, and this is the only other thing I want to say about causation as well is, and I'm very much playing devil's advocate. This is all speculation. Um, again, please do not rely on this as legal advice. But causation is actually a lot harder to prove than you think, because, and I'm reluctant to sort of raise it with Gary Ablett. But what we do know about Gary Ablett now is that. Well, he had a lot of substance abuse issues as well. And this is, again, where players are going to have to be very – because linking the breach in terms of the care that should have been giving it to saying, well, that's what caused it, or an accumulation over time caused your current circumstances, well, you've got to eliminate eliminate so many other factors from that. And it actually becomes quite – you know, on the face of it, we're all looking at it going, oh, there's a head knock. You know, he's obviously caused concussion. Yes, but – is that what actually led to the long-term effects? You know, what else was happening in your life at the time that has resulted in the state that you were, that you were in? So, yeah, it, it's going to be very interesting to watch. But I, I just thought from a – because this will ultimately, you know, uh, lie in a, in a legal argument. But you have to construct a lot of elements to put them together before you reach the stage where the NRL is like, yes, we accept over the last 20, 30, however long – that we've been not only breaching our duty to these players, but that has resulted in them getting concussed. There's a lot more to play out in this. And, um, yeah, I just thought that might be interesting to sort of have a little, little bit of thought given into how you know how these cases ultimately need to be established. So in, in that regard, the Knights have really done the business because they've sent Kayla oh, yeah. to, to, to literally oh, the, yeah. best, the best authority in the world. Correct. Yeah. And, and so... The cynic in me says, well, they're only doing it because of James McManus. I, I like to think that they've learned lessons from it. 
And I think I think the trip to Canada serves two purposes, is that, one, they've been able to put Caelan Ponga in a state of mind where he can come back to the game now and say, well, there's nothing wrong with me. We've done the tests. We've looked at my brain. They said, I'm, I'm carrying on as if as a perfectly normal any other person would at this stage. But, of course, you know, the there's more cynical side sort of says, well, they've now got the evidence if this, you know, if anything ever happens down there. Like, well, hang on. We did everything we could. We, we did the testing. We looked after you. There's there's not much that more that we... So if you've got long-term effects, it, it's not on us anymore. Um, but because the... And, and I, I think it's want, a little from A, a little from B there. Yeah, think, correct. You know, the club are doing the right thing, but they're also covering their ass. Correct. And so I just want to get back to this. There is significant case law in New South Wales as well that sort of stares, says um about this idea of a dangerous recreational activity so there was a i was i was actually researching uh, just for this bit but there was a, a jockey who fell and uh, and he tried to sue uh, the relevant association for saying well i've suffered a fall on a on the account of doing this you should pay me now because i can't do anything else and there, there was actually a court of appeal authority which is the second highest court you can go to and i couldn't find anything higher than that that said no but you knew what you were getting yourself into you knew the dangers when you were taking this on. And that was because that was something else Bob Carr did in the Civil Liability Act. You know, there were people who were jumping into um, war, pools of water without checking the depth and suing for millions. And they were saying, well, no, that's a dangerous recreational tip. You, you take on that responsibility when you acknowledge that you're doing it. And so I think that's something else that players will have to overcome when it comes to rugby league. It's like you're running into each other at high speeds. What did you think yeah. was going to happen? Yeah. It's, it's interesting with racing now that whenever, whenever there's an issue with a track in terms of it being wet and unsafe, if it's, if it's borderline, whether it's good or not, it's, the jockeys make the decision. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, they, 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 the, 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 sorry, the, the, the racing associations purely put it down to the jockeys and say, are you happy to race today or not? You know, and then that's, and that you're right. And that's just saying, well, you've got all the information you need. Are you willing to take the risk? You are listening to the Bay 53 podcast. Mate, which one do you want to talk about first? Because I could go either way on this. The Panthers game is obviously fresh in the mind, but that was a loss. Um, it's so easy to forget that um, the Warriors game happened. And, you know, I'm, I'm in your hands. Which Do we want to get the loss out of the way or do we want to start on a positive? Now, let's do the Warriors, only because I think that some elements of the Warriors flow into the Panthers game. It was... It, so I'm because I'm big on atmosphere at the moment. That game to me was one of the best. It's just one of the best atmospheres I've ever been involved in. It, there was twenty thousand fans there. You know, there was back and forth. Um, it annoyed me at the time, but then hearing the Warriors fans starting chanting for their team, it just it was just such a rugby league occasion and a great rugby league occasion as well on a on a, um, a an autumnal uh, Easter Sunday. Um, but a really exciting game to watch because you had the Knights coming off their 90 minutes. You had the Warriors coming off their comeback win against the the Sharks. And I thought they delivered just a really enjoyable game of rugby league. Yeah, it's actually interesting. It's two teams that, to me, are the two feel-good teams of the early part of the season. Um, the, you know, the Warriors are going outstanding, as we know. Um, but they both play a really good brand of football. They're both tough teams. It's yeah, I know. I um, I th- I think that was a really good, you know, to use a cliche advertisement for rugby league. It, it was sort of <laughs> it was it was an open game, but it wasn't an open game because the teams were playing poorly in defence. It was an open game because some really good tries scored. Uh, Thirty-four to twenty-four uh, in the end. Um, what are this? I think the Knights. <laughs> finally, mate, kicking. We we have to do something about our kicking. We outscored. 
uh, the Warriors six tries to four. It was actually really funny because for some reason the Warriors are starting games really poorly, um, but they've sort of been doing – that to me is a Warriors thing. Um, but Dom Young's first try where he was carrying um, – uh, who uh, Marcelo Montoya on his back uh, over the try line. There was something about the opening try that sort of showed the commitment and the endeavour that this team really does want to establish. Like, you know, he's carrying, I think he was actually carrying three players over the line by the time he got there. Um, yeah, it was just a you know, solid start from the team, just sort of just the sort of start that we needed. It's interesting. I've actually heard several people say it looks like Dom coming out the back of Fenny's on a Saturday night. <laughs> just just bodies all over him. Um, but no, that was because that that's sort of like down the fire from where we sit. And I obviously you can't quite see how, but that was incredible. Like absolutely mm. incredible when I watched it on the replay. Like they were literally full body weight on top of him, and he was just walking along like a bloody um like a white walker. It was amazing. Mate, I want to read some of these numbers to you because uh, the reason I've always been big on our back five kick returns is that for me, that was one of the that that is one of the key the key cornerstones of a successful Penrith Panthers team was uh, 193 all run by uh, Lockie, only 105 by Dom, which surprises me. 174 by they, they, didn't, they didn't kick his way; they'll kick it to the other side. Yeah, of course. Um, Bradman Best, 135, and Greg Marju again with another 151 metres. Our back five are doing the job. They're doing the job for us, man. They're giving us those carries. You know, we were even noticing it against the Panthers, but we're not playing – we're not to play the balls into a set before we get over the 10-metre line. Like, we're actually getting advantage uh, on those kick returns early on. Yeah, and and that's the thing that – because if you win the first tackle, the second tackle's easy to win. We, but we were losing that first tackle. So the second tackle, we were getting, no matter if it was Brabham and Gags who were good meter guys, they were just getting monstered because, you know, we were behind the eight ball after tackle one. But if you can win the first ruck, the rest of the set's really simple because you've already established, you know, the lines in a bit of a mess. Um, and then, and that's why, but that's how Penrith do it. Like Penrith are so successful when they ruck it out of their half mm. because they're full, by the time their forwards get a hit up, the defense is already shot. Can I put it to you that Greg Marshu is a bigger, better Brian Toto without without good handling skills? Because I I just think, and again we saw it against the the Panthers, you know, he's you've got to work on those hands. But when he holds that ball and when he just gets those legs pumping, it, it's almost like Brian Toto was the prototype upon which Greg Marshu was built. He's he's just bringing that run and that carry. That we that we just so needed um, from you know from both Knights wingers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and that's and you're right. The in terms of purely ability to break tackles, Brian Tyo is, is not as good as Greg Margie, but Brian Tyo is good at. He's got a really fast play of the ball. He's got excellent hands, and he um, you know he's probably slightly quicker. Which you know, which is all sort of a bit of advantage to him, which makes him obviously a clearly better player. But in terms of pure grunt coming out of your own end, yeah, Greg Marge is really the best in the league. Now we sort of know the the answer to the following, but certainly during and at the end of the game, I think question marks bordering on concerns about Bradman Best's um, uh, defence uh, certainly you know off scrums. But um, Adam Pompey, you know, had Bradman covered twice on scrums there. I think that was a product of the nature of the game 
as opposed to any sort of massive issues that seem to be appearing in Bradman's game? Because Bradman more than had Stephen Crichton uh, covered on Saturday. But yeah, Adam Pompey was just, um, could have had three uh, on the night. Um, Bradman just didn't seem to, he, he just didn't seem to have that 100% focus uh, defensively. Yeah, and he's still got that in his game, Bradman. He's vastly improved this year. We're really starting to see the Bradman we we knew we were going to get at some stage. But yeah, I'd tell you, it was just it was just a bad night, you know. Yeah, Pompey had him on toast a couple of times, and it did concern me. I thought, oh, you know, is this the real Bradman? Now have we been sort of you know lulled into this sense that he's, he's turned the corner? But then obviously, as you said, you know. One of the one of the better setters in the competition was absolutely owned by him last week. So no, nah, it was a one-off. I think we went into the uh, we went into the break twenty-two to six up. Um, I was actually surprised that um, that Tyson Frizzell's try got given. I thought for sure there was going to be a knock on there um, somewhere. Um, Crossland then goes over. You know, twenty-two to six. I always get nervous when we give a standing ovation to the team at halftime because we did that. Uh, during the Bulldogs' comeback game in 2002, and we all know what happened there. At 22 to six up at halftime, though, you, you you're not comfortable. You're you're happy with the 40 minutes that you've seen, but I mean, based on the Cronulla game alone, you you sort of felt like the Warriors had it in them to come back. Oh, I definitely knew the Warriors had points in them. I knew they'd get a couple of tries in that second half. There was no doubt about that. Um, the I thought I, I thought 16 was enough in. Honestly, I, it was still 10. I would have been worried. But we went to talk about the first half. We, we have to mention the, the chase down on the intercept. Oh, look. Well, I mean, oh, where, do you, where do you start on that? Because I'll be honest with you. We now know that, you know, Phoenix is playing some of the best football of his career. But in that split second, where, like shortly after he threw that pass, oh, boy, I was filthy. I was so filthy. Just I was just like, you're overplaying your hand again. This is yeah, not what you're in the that, team to that do. Was my rea- that was my reaction was, Phoenix, that's not your job anymore, mate. Yeah. You are not that player. Yeah. Okay, so we got that out of the way. That's that's the nasty stuff. At what point did you suddenly think it wasn't going to be a try? Because I, I can tell you, for the first 10, 20 metres that he was running, I thought, that's it, he's in, and we're going to have to start all over again. So at what point did you start to think, oh, hang on. <laughs> hang on, what's happening here? <laughs> at, at halfway. Yeah. Okay. At, 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 at halfway, I knew Miller had him, and I was confident Frizz would probably get there too. You know, we said it earlier, it's it's just enjoyable seeing Tyson Frizzell in the team doing what he was brought to the team to do. You know, bringing that aggression, bringing that hard running, but also bringing that defensive energy and extra step that, you know, a New South Wales and Australian calibre rep player brings to that second row. Watching Tyson this season, watching Tyson Frizzell, we have to differentiate now, watching Frizz this season, it's just been really enjoyable to, uh, to see him performing in a Knights jersey. And this is the frizz that he was at his best because he was never a guy that would cut you open on the edges. You know, he was that was not him. He was always the guy that would just get his nose through and get a good play of the ball, or you know, or he'd he'd whack someone in defence and, and turn a ball over. You know, that was Tyson Frizzell, and that's what he's doing this year. He's poking his nose through, and you know, Lockie Miller's looming up, and it hasn't quite turned into a try yet, but it will. Other times, you know, he's he's looming up, 
Uh, sorry, he's putting his nose through, and the next ruck, you know, we're, we're, we're on a roll and we're away. Um, you know, on, on this week's game, you know, he just hit the ball a million miles an hour and, and busted over. You know, that was the Tyson Frizzell we thought we were getting, and his body hasn't allowed it. But for some reason, I don't know what's just been, he's had a better off-season or the injuries were quite manageable that he had last year, you know, and they sort of didn't need surgery. But he's just like, a, he's just like he's turned the clock back five years. Second highest tackle maker for the club, uh, for the Knights uh, in that game as well. And, I mean, second row as you expect to get through a, a ton of work, but off the back of that sprint uh, and chase down, which, you know, wouldn't have been in the playbook, um, the fact that he still went out there. And so uh, Jaden Braley, Lachlan Fitzgibbon and Tyson Frizzell, top, um, the top three tacklers on the night. Um, I mean, Jaden Braley... <sighs> what do you say? <laughs> so we've had we've we've had one full season out of him. So this is this will be his four, four years, yeah. And we've had yeah. one full season, right? and we've got two yeah. more years of him after this after this season. Yeah, we what have, do you we, say? Have, we, we haven't had a season and a half out of him out of four years in terms of the games played. Um, I don't know. It's 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 it's, un, it's unlucky. There's no doubt about that. But to me. It still leaves a bit of a a bit of a question mark in terms of okay, he's had a, he's had a a knee rico and then he's had an Achilles. This can't be a shock. So so why mm. haven't we recruited a specialist hooker in first grade standard in the squad? Yep. You know, and, and I and I agree that Phoenix and Kurt Mann, I think those two in tandem, his first grade standard, they're both really good at the role, but that's not the role they're in the team for. Mm. You know, like, I don't know why we didn't have, yeah, a guy that, you know, because I, and then people say, we, well, why did we let Randall go? Because I don't think Randall's a first grade hooker. And he's shown that the Titans, as soon as the Titans lost their first choice hooker, instead of Chad is having the role, they went and bought someone, you know, like, Chad Randall is, is, is your break glass, 30th man in the squad hooker. He's not your backup. Mm. And, you know, and then that's, and that's why, you know, that, I think that's been a mistake. And, and as our friend Harvey G's pointed out, the club now needs to understand that we can't pray Brails for 80 minutes. His body, his body doesn't handle it. And also, I don't think the game suits an 80-minute hooker anymore. You need, you need a bit of dynamism out of, out of that hooking role. And, um, yeah, we, need, we definitely need to buy a hooker in the offseason. It was an innocuous sort of instance. So my... And the other reason I say this is that the last time he did an ACL, he played the he played the rest of the game with it. I mean, it was such an innocuous incident that seems to have that everyone's pointing to when um, when he did his um, when he did his knee. But and I mean, I'm putting my tinfoil hat firmly on here. It might be it might be cutting off the oxygen to my brain. If you look at the Tyson Frizzell chase down, Jaden uh, Braley sort of gives up halfway. I'm not saying that's when he did it, but I am wondering if he did it earlier in the game. Yeah, because... I, I think it was done before that. I think it was done really early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, should he have been? You know, should he have come off or should he, was it going to no, make it doesn't any matter. Difference? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Once he's done ACL, you know, and and, and um, um, any inner officer said that many times. You know, you can't you can't make it any worse. You know, it's it's done. It's done. And I think it's a te- but again, once again, it's a testament to just the level of pain or the ability of this guy, you know, if 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 that's so, that he can play through it. Uh, he finished the game with 42 tackles. <laughs> it's just, it's, 
the saddest I'm, so, I'm thing... starting to I'm starting to wonder whether he's got nerve damage in that knee. Does not feel it? Because I, I had a really bad broken wrist as a kid. So in my right wrist, you oh, can yeah. smack it with a hammer, and I barely feel it. Yeah, right. And, you know, like just from the nerve damage, and I wonder whether you know maybe maybe he has that same issue in that knee. Because yeah, his ability to play on it's amazing. I do wonder though, because I go back to what you said about his role. Can we carry a player that's not an 80-minute hooker? Because I think we can. I think Jaden offers enough to the team where if he can give us 40 to 50 to 60 minutes of really valuable football, he still has a place in this team. But does the game sort of allow for that? You know, because we were discussing it a bit with the, with in the chat this week. It was like, well, you know, it, has the game moved on from having two hookers? Do you need to have an 80-minute hooker? Um, but you'd wonder if, well, Kurt Mann and Phoenix have sort of said, well, yes, yes, you can. We we took it to the best team in the comp, and um, we managed to do it with rotating hookers. Yeah, Penrith last year had Penrith rotated happy with Mitch Kenny. Mitch Kenny's mm. rubbish, but they knew that. <laughs> and, but they knew it was better to get 60 minutes out of Appy at his best. That was, be- that was better for the team. Um, the Warriors sort of, just on the game, the Warriors sort of hit back as we knew they would in the second half. I think the score got to about 22 to 16 or 24. 22 to 18. 22 to 18. Yeah, 22 to 18. Um, Which is when I, my shit, was when I lose my mind about the music like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but, and again, this is why we're probably a bit surprised why he's starting, but that fresh Kurt Mann came on and, um, you know, took on a tired defence, uh, scored a try, and that was probably this, the winning play that really put the game to bed, uh, notwithstanding that Greg Marshall got another try later on uh, in the game. But it was really that Kurt Mann injection that um, that finally got us over the line. Uh, the, the, you know, Warriors got a try in the last 10 minutes, literally milliseconds after I said to said to my cousin, well, I think we're in this. Um, but yeah, it was really Kurt Mann that in the end sealed the game for us. Yeah, and that's right. That's what I, the role we were sort of expecting. You know, I, I, I was sort of thinking once we found our brows were done for the season, it would be Phoenix for 55, 60, and then Kurt finishing the game off, you know. But it hasn't hasn't played that role. Obviously, Kurt played plenty of lock last week too, and he's starting lock this week. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to second-guess the coach, but it, it does seem strange. I must admit, I'm probably being a bit hard on Lachlan Miller. He actually got five from six uh, against the Warriors. So the kicking duties... You know, it seems to be a little bit of a rocks, dime, rocks or diamonds uh, sort of uh, thing with him. Um, but, I mean, the way the Warriors are performing at the moment, we had we had that eight-point loss to them to open up the season. We're coming off a 10-point win with them. So, I mean, we, we, you know, we share the, the spoils, as it were, with them over the season, a win apiece, which is what we tend to do with the Warriors anyway. Uh, but that, that 24 points leaked, it just... It just sits in the back of the mind because a, a thirty-four, you know, a thirty-four to eighteen win is just it, that, that just feels so much more convincing than a thirty-four to twenty-four win. Um, but I, I think they deserve that last try because I think the nickel clocks that try should have been a try. Which one, the nickel clocks? The one, the one that was disallowed for the um, very dodgy shepherd. So you and I have a very differing opinion when it comes to the um the obstruction rule because i like the way it's currently ruled not because it's functional but because everybody knows what to expect so that you're right if it was if it was done like that but it's not it's inconsistent yeah. it's yeah. Incon- you can, they, they literally said we've got a black and white rule that's not black and white it changes every week 
Yeah, and it's it's just quintessentially rugby league where they set a black and ro- black and white rule up to say, right now let's see what happens. Um, <laughs> and, it's the, and it's the same that one that we got disallowed with the with Lockie Miller in front of the ball. Like by the rules, that's a that's not a try, but that happens all the time. Right. All so you mean, so you mentioned the Lockie Miller one. So that that is one where you and I like I th- we, we I think we just flat out disagree on that. And the only reason I disagree on because for me that was actually a turning point in the game. Like once they, I mean, the, the Warriors came out and scored two try the next two tries after that, and we'd sort of built up a lot of momentum. So my argument with the Lockie Miller one, and your sorry, as I understand your your um, discussion with the Lachlan Miller obstruction is that once he's passed the ball, it's on the ball passer to make sure that he gets out of the way. But my take on it is that. It's so shortly after he passes the ball, I understand that he needs to get out of the way, but not to the extent where the attacking team should inhibit their own chances. Um, you know, from a from a support structural perspective, I don't think I don't think Lachlan Miller has enough t- time to really because if you watch it in fast moment, he sort of passes it, takes a couple of steps, and then. Sean Johnson is there, and in my mind, I'm like, well, hang on, how how much effort does that attacking player have to do to get out of the way? But that's kind of the point. When you play in close quarters like that, you open yourself to that. So mm. if you play short passes, you you open yourself up to that because you're you're literally passing the ball and staying in the line. And I, I think it's a try. Like I don't disagree with you that it should be a try, but by the rules, it's not because once you pass the ball, if you're you then remain remain in front of the ball for half a second. You have to be out of the way. It's no different to a guy running in front of the line, uh, running in front of the ball carrier and stopping in the line on a um, block play. Okay, so are you saying what Lachlan Miller should have done is once he passed the ball, is it enough for him to just take his foot off the gas and let... He either stops and lets yep. the ball run past him or accelerate so fast that he's through the line and in no one's way. Okay, all right. So you're so you're, you're actually going to the extent that once you're in front of the, uh, the ball carrier without the ball... You have to do everything you can to as quickly as possible get out of the way. Because Lockie kept running to keep being in support, which yeah. isn't the right thing to do, but he stayed in the play. That's what he did wrong. He stayed in the play. And it's actually him. It's not the support that's the issue. Is for, it's the fact that he's in front of the ball carrier. But again, that's and, – and actually, sir, I'm sort of proving your point more than mine is that I'm like, well, if he's in front of the ball carrier and Sean Johnson's running into him, you know, Sean Johnson's never going to make a play on the ball carrier. But – I've just disproved my initial argument about the Jackson Hastings one because Jackson Hastings was so far out of that play. He's tackling a guy that he's yeah. it, it, he's never going to get to the ball carrier, and so both of those. Sean, sort of Sean each Johnson other had out. more. Sean Johnson had more chance of stopping that try than Jackson Hastings stopping the other one. Yeah, no, you're probably right there. I just. And I will say this, Sean Johnson milked it because nine, nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten, that wouldn't get noticed because the player wouldn't run into him and dive on the ground. Yeah, and and I mean, as you pointed out, Jackson Hastings um, milked it as well when it came to um, the CNK uh, obstruction. So um, we know that players are doing it. This isn't a surprise anymore. Um, the whole thing about running around the back of players. So I mean. Because we'll talk about that. I want to talk about the Jamin Salmon one in the Penrith game. I mean, at the end of the uh, Warriors game, though, we were in the eight. Like, that's the first time we've been in the eight since I think round four last year. Um, felt good. <laughs> and say to me, but I looked, I went in the eight, and went, oh, fuck, we played Penrith this week. Yeah, yeah that's exactly what I did. 
just, I'm just like, I can't, I'm not even going to get to a journey for two weeks. Um, okay, so look, you know, we, we beat the Warriors. Um, we've got a six-day turnaround. We conceded 24 points. Be honest, be honest, going into Saturday's game, what were your expectations? I'll put it this way. Okay, so I'm as everyone knows, listeners, I've I've bet on the footy. My bets on that game work. I had what I would normally bet on a game. I had half on the Knights to win and half on the Knights with the start. I thought we would lose in a close game. Okay, but I yeah, but I thought you know we were we were we were a chance. Okay, at what point in the game did you? think we really were a chance like you know what i mean like in terms of okay at any point in the 80 minutes did you think we were winning that game um i wouldn't say i thought we were winning that game i thought at half time it was we were probably 60 40 chance of winning it okay because i was i was so i was talking with um the mumbler at half time we both decided we weren't winning that game and the only reason we sort of said that wasn't to death row is like oh here we go we'll fuck it up again but I think it was more to say, look, that's been a great half of footy. What will be will be. I'm just going to enjoy the fact that we produced a really good half of footy and we're up at half time as opposed to being. And remember, this time tw- last year, those games were over at, after 10 minutes. We were usually three tries down inside 10, 15 minutes. So to not only only concede the one try in that half, but to be up at half time and in because what did I say at this at the beginning of the season? I just want us to be in a contest with twenty minutes to go, and that was exactly what happened on Saturday night against the Panthers. We were in a contest with twenty minutes to go. So at half time, I wasn't thinking that we were winning. I was just so happy that the boys had finally um, put in a performance that w- the the result was still in the balance at half time. I'll tell you what's really given me hope for this season, and it's it's the when so the Manly game we had the lead in the second half, we you know we fell apart a bit. They hit the front, and then we hit we hit back. Mm. You know, I thought I thought that was a good sign. And then we did the same with Penrith. You know, we came out we that first twenty minutes of that second half against Penrith is the worst we've controlled the ball in. I can't remember. It was it was abysmal. It was even worse so, than last year. Yeah, like, that's right. That's like right. last year, we were ineffectual, but we weren't incompetent. That's right. So then, so then Penrith hit back, get the scores level, and we're quite with the with the amount of ball they had in the defence we'd done, and the fact that it's Penrith. No, even good night's teams, you know, would lose that game comfortably. You know, we mm. would give up two or three late tries and get blown out. But we then dragged them down into the mud with us, and you know, and it, it hit the front again. It's actually interesting now that I look about it because we didn't score a try again after the 27th minute, which is disappointing. We scored three tries in the opening half an hour against the Panthers. And they haven't considered three to anyone all season. Uh, and that's right. Like, we, we really did come out and do – see, normally the Knights teams of the past few years have been – just try and stick with them for the first 10 to 15 to 20 and see what happens. But it feels like today, this on Saturday, they went out with a, just go and blow them off the park. Like the Andrew Johns teams, just go and blow them off the park and then see if they can catch up with you. And so, you know, when Tyson went over, and that was amazing, can I just say, because that was almost, you know, just off to the left of Bay 53. It was fucking amazing when he went over and started celebrating. But then Tyson scores. But then all of a sudden... Phoenix Crossland's going in off a perfectly weighted uh, kick. You've got three tries on the board. Um, you know, the, the Panthers haven't responded yet. 
it felt good. Like it just felt really good to see the boys sort of putting in and delivering these um, these performances that um, that you're like, wow, we got a contest. And the goal king, as much as the goal king mattered in terms of Lockie didn't get the penalty that probably would have won it for us. To mm. me, the goal king mattered early when we missed those first two. hundred percent. So, so instead of being twelve two up and really yep. putting scoreboard pressure on them, it's yep. eight two. And eight, you know, to me, yeah. to, to me that. Although we, we yeah, we scored the next try again, you know, and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, we, to me, 12-2, the way we were playing, I think we would have got on with the job. Okay, so I guess at the end of the day, because I think the turning point was the Dane Gagai penalty, but if we're being honest about it, you and I have always said you can't complain about the things you can't control. We can't control the referee. We can't control the way referee sees um, discretionary areas. You know, you can you can stay back your ten for for the defensive line, but even then they might be like, oh, you were 0.1 of a second early and you're offside. You know, you can't. Sometimes you just can't control what the referee's going to do. You can't control the referee deciding that um, that. Uh, Dane Gagai is going to be um, dissenting, other than to say none of the team is to swear again, which is un- unworkable. But what we could control was our goal kicking. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. Eight to two was just so much less convinced, so much less convincing than, uh, than than 12 to two, particularly when the um, Panthers went up the other end and scored off the back of the Dane Gagai penalty. Can I say this, though? I, put, I ask you, when was the last time you saw a team lose possession over dissent? Oh, it was the, it was a, a dreadful decision, and and when it first happened, I thought well, he's called him a cheat or he's called him you know the other c word or you know, mm. but he did none of that. Mm. He just did what first graders do and had a whinge and swore. Yeah, at the time, because at the because at the time you could actually see the um, the referee motioning to his mouth, and that's why you automatically assumed that we had the penalty. Because it was only when he started to swing his arm around, you're like, what the fuck has actually happened? Like, it was just so confusing. Um, I, thought, I, thought we'd, I initially thought we'd lost. You know how they've been um, doing that thing where they give the guys don't play it um, the right way, they just automatically turn the ball over now? They've been oh, sort yeah. of nailing that. I thought that was was he didn't play the ball fakes in the right way. But then when I said it was the scent, I was like, you kidding me? So when Brian Toll goes over, though, you know what the funny thing is? I actually didn't think the floodgates were going to open. I don't know why, because maybe I was just, um, you know, maybe by that stage I was a bit um, hopeful, more hopeful than it. But I didn't, like I said, we hadn't been playing in a manner where I thought, oh, well, here it goes. This is, and yeah, again, we go up and score another try and um, we get that. Um, and that's because that, they had to work for the try. They, they took them three yeah. sets to score. Yeah. Um, we were... We were our defense was up in the face of the Panthers team, and the reason that stood out to me was that you and I have sort of discussed a lot about one of the things about Newcastle defenses over the last three years, even under you know, we wait for the attack to come to us so that we can maintain a line. And remember last year we were like, why the fuck is Anari Tuala running out of the line like a bullet and leaving all these holes? Well, there were thirteen bullets running out of the defensive line that was up in the face of the um, of the Panthers' attack, and they didn't like it. Like, as much as we dropped all of that ball in the second half, Panthers dropped a shitload of ball. And I put it to you that that was because they were under this defensive pressure that they're not really used to experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, to me, that was the, the disappointing part. We were just losing the ball, you know, and the play the ball and ridiculous stuff like that. We, they were losing the ball because we were up in their face. Um. 
yeah, you know, the the, the sort of the defensive line thing, a guy coming out of the line is not an issue if they if everyone does it. The issue when you when you look stupid in defense is if one guy does one thing and the guy next to him does another. That's when you look stupid. Um a couple of other things that I do want to talk about. Look, I so I again by the letter of the law, I actually think the Jamin Salmon try was an obstruction. I understand the ruling that he didn't impede anybody who was going to make a play on him. But again, you sort of you go back to the the Sean Johnson one and the they haven't seemed to care. You're not allowed to run around the back of another player. The the rule is simple. You can't run behind and you feel I've said this many times. Phil Gould explains this perfectly. A defensive line should not have to expect a defend an attacker to then appear on the other side of an, of the guy in front of him. So if you, if you're on the if you're on the outside of a player, you then have in your mind well the play has to be on the outside because there's no one on the inside that can get the ball and he can't run back there. So you then don't have to move. So then, so, so then when that guy does that, you know you get caught five footed. So that happens, and they obviously convert. Okay. Let's talk about the Luai hair pull because this has been this has been done to death. It's gone back and forth. Oh, you know, our good friend Harvey G, he maintains the descent penalty is worse than the hair pull one. Uh, uh, let me say it again. I absolutely agree and understand you can't pull someone's hair. But this was the point that Adam O'Brien and um, Tyson Frizzell were trying to make in their presser is that he got shirt. He's going for the shirt. He gets the shirt. The hair just happens to be there. Now, Graham Annesley makes this big deal. It's like, oh, well, you know, you've got to see it from the angle that that the referee's looking at. I'm like, yeah, you can see him grabbing the shirt. The only time that Tyson Frizzell actually only has a handful of hair is when he's letting go of the shirt because he's wrapping him up with his other uh, with his other arm to complete the to complete the tackle. That's actually when the hair pull becomes apparent, is when he's letting go to hold on with the other arm. And that's when Luai's head goes back because by that stage, he's try- he's let go of the shirt and now he's letting go of the hair because the hair is still there. That's what they were trying to say. Well, all right, we'll all just grow our hair down to our waist so that you can't grab around that area because you might get shirt and that's going, you might get hair and that's going to be a penalty. See, my thing is how else can you tackle him other than grabbing the jersey? Because if he if he grabs him around around the shoulders like and then drops his full body weight under his back and under his legs, it's a hip drop. Yes. Yes. The only the only way to tackle him, like he's been beaten on the outside slightly for speed. So the only way to tackle him is to grab his jersey. And of course, the, the, the biggest issue is for them, and again, Reston cost us this game. A, a multitude of drop ball and an inability leaving six points out on the f- field. That's what that's what lost us the game. But it was more frustrating because Panthers, they scored six points off the back of these penalties that went against us. And those six points in the end, those six points were the difference. They were our missed kicks. So the referee didn't lose us the game, but he had a role in the way that the game was sort of played. And that in the end was the frustrating part was that these two key decisions um, went uh, the Panthers' way. And I don't want to hear this rubbish about how, oh, we got one with Lockie. Fuck off. If that late hit on, and barely late, but if that hit on Nathan Cleary had resulted in a penalty, that would have been far more controversial than anything else that happened in this game. And I'm glad that penalty wasn't called because, one, it wasn't a penalty. But, two, 
you didn't want to be talking about the game being over off the back of a shithouse penalty like that. We get to talk about the great, you know, the other dumb penalties, but also just the great game in and of itself. And yes, the Panthers then put on one of the most miraculous, immaculate, sorry, first sets you could ever ask for in extra time to go up and kick the winning field goal. That's rugby league. That's what, and you know, it was a great game that had a great ending. It deserved an ending far better than a cheap shot. Um, sorry, a, a cheap dive by Nathan Cleary to earn a shithouse penalty. Well, what was lucky thinking? I wasn't why, smart. Why would, <laughs> why would you even do that? Like, it, especially it, Nathan Cleary, because the, the odds are nine times out of ten, the ref's going to take Cleary's side. Well, it's even dumber as well off the back of the fact that we've just had a player done for descent who genuinely yeah. wasn't even. You yeah, the ref's, clearly the, looking ref for, the ref's clearly looking for reasons to give penalties. Why would you even, like, yeah, that was so dumb. Hey, what'd you make of the Spencer Lenniou, um sin binning? See, I, I think it's there. I, in the end, it got turned over, you know, that, but I think the idea that the ref made something up that wasn't there, I think Spencer Lenny absolutely does step backwards into the path of Tyson Gamble, and he got away with it. Um, I don't think it's a sin bin because I don't think he deliberately knocked him over. Yeah, I okay. think I think it's I think it's a penalty because he did get in his path, but I don't I think they just got legs tangled up. I don't think yeah. he deliberately knocked him over. Yeah. So I, I think it's a penalty without a sin bin. Hey mate, we're running out of time. So unfortunately we probably can't devote as much time as we would have liked to to the Cowboys game this weekend. The only thing I the only other thing I wanted to ask you about was um uh Tao Malolo out. Is, is this a game now that we absolutely should win? Like, should we be winning that regardless of, um, um, you know, our, our history in Townsville and, you know, you know we don't travel well. You know, they've, they've, lost one of the, they've lost their best player. We're in form. We should be winning this game this weekend. Yeah, if, if, you, if you want to be a finals team, you have to win the, the away games that the luck falls your way. And them not having Jason Tao Malolo and being in a bad patch of form, you know, like it's fallen our way. You need to take your chances and, and win that game. Um, how do you think we'll go though? <laughs> um, I'm not confident because of the, the Townsville record. I yeah. think if we were playing, if we, I think if we were at home this week, we'd put 40 on them. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not confident. Yeah, because of the Townsville record. The problem has sort of been that um, we just because the frustrating thing about the Panthers was we we put in a 40 minute performance, but our defence sort of covered our ass, and I just don't think that we're going to have that luxury. Um, I, I think we need to go up to Townsville. We absolutely need to blow them, away, blow them away early and just play smart footy from there. And we sort of did that last season. We had a really great start in, in Townsville last year, but um, we just couldn't keep going. Um, hey, mate, just quickly, what are your thoughts on Todd Payton? Is is this the, the coach? Like, are these the results of the type of coach you think he is? Or is this year... The, you know his outlier year is his last year really more the coach that Todd Payton sure, sort of is yeah he, 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 there's too many bad decisions he makes in terms of his rotations and his selections to think he's a good coach last year he was an outlier he got coach of the year like that's the thing he, this could be a guy that could have you know through he, he survived this year so say he has another bad year next year he could have three years where he's in the bottom two or three and the coach of the year you know and then get fired like it's it could be it could be incredible, but no, I, I don't think he can coach. I think on the the fraudometer, he's 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 extreme boarding on catastrophic. Oh, he's he's. I think um, I think he's definitely uh, he's definitely at that extreme category as uh, as the, uh, the the 
the fraudometer is as uh, easily decipherable as the VB hard-earned index. So, um, um, you know, we'll be we'll be um, keeping that up to date as the season goes on. Um, the Cowboys are favourites though this weekend, so um, gamble responsibly, everybody. But um, Bretto's um, Bretto's tips might uh, give you some um, some helpful hints in terms of uh, the uh, the smart bets to um, to make on the nights this weekend. Mate, we've run out of time. We've gone well over time in terms of uh, what we uh, intended to discuss this evening. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. We always appreciate everybody who wants to go through to the end. Bretto, have you got any last-minute shout-outs before we uh, call it a call it a, an end to the proceedings? No, mate, but I will say that get on and interact with the um, with the pod accounts on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, as you've got it, don't, don't need to wait for shout-out for questions. If you've got things you want us to talk about, just throw them there in some of the, in some of the, uh, the content we have there, and we'll see them, and we'll, we'll keep an eye on them, and, yeah, we'll talk about them. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We do try to win a bit. We, we try to be as nice as we can, but sometimes emotion does get the better of us online. So we do appreciate all of your listeners. Um, enjoy the week. Uh, and, um, yeah, see you on the socials, everyone. Thanks, guys. Sports Best Friends would like to thank you for listening right to the end. You are our kind of people. Find other great sports podcasts in our family by subscribing. And remember, social media isn't a bad place. You just need to follow the right people.